Advance After Combat. Okay, welcome to the Advance After Combat podcast. This is a podcast about wargaming, our experiences playing those games, and that's pretty much it. I think there was something else, but I can never remember what it is. Uh, this podcast brought to you by Dave, uh, Jason, hello, and a mystery host that we select from our guild on BGG every month. And that mystery host this month is Kyle. Hello. Hello. Okay, so Kyle, do you, do you just want to go first name for this, or you want to like like announce who you are? To, to My actual name? Well, it's it's on the internet, so <laughs> well, and, and a lot more people will see it on the internet than will listen to this podcast. So <laughs> that's true. Oh, that is. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so my last name is Seely. Um, but my handle on BoardGameGeek and the Guild is Slugonix. Slugonix. And that's the only way I know people is by their handle. Yeah, that's the same on... Uh, on uh, usually that's what I use for most websites, at least Wargaming-related websites. So, Where does where, where does that name come from? Uh, it's It comes from my college fraternity days. Okay. Um, that we, My house was full of just a bunch of drunks and gamblers and drug dealers. Uh, so when we tended to refer to ourselves as sluggos because we were all idiots. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, Very it kind of, nice. it came out of that. And, and there was some cartoon about, it was like a Nancy cartoon or something where somebody was, cause I think in that cartoon, they, they, there was a character named sluggo and, uh, he spoke just in this weird kind of street slang <laughs> stuff. I don't know. And they, they referred to it as slugonics. And so, that just I, I picked it because whenever I'd pick Sluggo to sign up for a website, it was usually taken. So oh, that's funny. But nobody ever took Slugonics because that, it's just gibberish. So you should speak in slang. <laughs> yes, so you chose that name instead of like Kyle Seeley twenty four sixty three thousand. Yeah, yeah, because there's so many other Kyle Seeleys out there. Mm-hmm. Dave, what you forgot to mention in the opening was that this is an explicit podcast. Oh yes, right, that's it is. What it was. So don't bitch about our swearing. <laughs> yeah, so let's not let that be a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, Kyle, so how long have you been a war gamer? Uh, well, that def- that depends on your definition of war game. <laughs> oh, geez, is this is this podcast going to be a long walk to the well every time? Can we just... <laughs> no, it's, I I would say I've been an actual hex encounter war game war gamer uh, since high school. Um. But I actually played minis more in high school, uh, like historical minis, than I did uh, Hex Encounter cardboard wargaming. But I did play some. But I didn't really start buying them in earnest and become totally go down the rabbit hole of cardboard wargaming until uh, about two and a half years ago. Now, did you wargame in college? Uh, again, not very much. Some minis. Uh, but mostly did like strategy board games and stuff through college. Uh, we play, you know, History of the World and stuff like that. What was the first war game you ever played? Uh, I think Devil's Den by Avalon Hill. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That was like a small one. That one of those small yeah. ones. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, I think almost company level civil war, um, or at least I mean you're dealing with like individual counters representing one regiment or a couple of regiments. It was at least Chamberlain's regiment because it was all about the kind of little round top. Um, on uh, at uh, Gettysburg, so yeah, I remember that being really hard to win as the Confederates. Maybe like 
you know, justifiably so because they didn't win. But yeah, I remember like the Confederates are kind of exhausted by the time they there's like a lot of tough terrain. I think I played it when I was younger, too. And that was that was what the reason that was my first one is probably because of the Civil War history part of it, because I'm a huge Civil War buff. So what did you just see it at like a game store and decide to get it? Yeah, I was like, oh, this looks cool. And because I think because it was small scale too, like it look, didn't look like it was overwhelming to me. So, and I'd played, I think before I'd played that even, I'd already been playing Johnny Reb, which was the uh, the oh, Civil yeah. War tactical minis system. Right. This is uh, like. So I thought, like, oh, this would be kind of cool. I don't have to have minis or anything to play this, you know. So was was that like? Did, were you doing like Johnny Reb like first, like the first editions, or like the later? I think third edition maybe was the one that came out. Uh, I've actually got a copy of it on my shelf. I think it's the. I think it was the third edition. Because they had one where you had to have a certain number of figures per stand, I think, and then that turned me... I, I kind of dabbled a little bit when I was first getting into miniature wargaming. I was kind of intimidated by the whole process of painting, you know, as a teenager, where, like, where are you yeah. going to do that? You're going to do it in the garage, maybe, or get... It. Well, I solved that by latching on to a friend of mine who was really talented at it <laughs> and had and had and had all the painting and everything. So I was like, oh, cool, I can help you paint and right. not really responsible for any of it myself. Because that's uh, probably the most intimidating part about, I think, miniature wargaming, especially when you're young. You're kind of yeah. like, I got to get primer and I got to do all the stuff. <laughs> I got to prime these and, guys. And, and this was this was before the Internet. So, you know, you, you, I didn't. Unless you were talking to somebody at a hobby store about it, you know, I didn't even know where to go to find this kind of stuff or, you know, it was, it was, but this guy, he had everything already and and he was kind of an artist kind of guy. So, you know, talented in that regard. And so, so I learned a lot from him on just, you know, how to, to uh, make stuff look good for almost no money. Were you guys playing high school students? Were you guys playing like 15 millimeter? Were you using like HO stuff or what? Um, the heck what size are it was like basically you could fit like five five guys onto an inch square stand sure so that's a tiny that's like about the smallest scale you can get yeah and i, think I that's can't what remember I, what the millimeter size is i think that's what i started with i think i was doing stone mountain buying stuff from stone mountain when i was young younger but yeah 15 yeah, these were, i think old glory were the was the yeah. the brand of minis you just buy a big bag of these things and yes. a little just uh uh you know pewter minis and yeah, uh, there, there was, were always like five or six like mutant guys in there that didn't catch yeah. <laughs> yeah like so the mold was so messed up the, just, <laughs> they were almost just a blob with like a rifle sticking out of it mm-hmm. and uh that but that's that scale was i preferred that scale because when you'd line up the regiments you know, with four or five guys a stand, and then you put, you know, my my friend and I, we painted the entire Union Second Corps. So, you know, you're talking three divisions, each with right. two or three brigades. Each brigade has five or six regiments in it. Well, yeah, uh, Johnny Reb, that's pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> a regiment's going to be about five. It's going to be five of those little inch squares with, you know, four or five guys on it. Yeah, I got into the Civil War when the, they came out with Fire and Fury. Which was like the brigade scale. The, the I forget the company that published it, but it was a big push, very popular rule set called Fire and Fury. That's kind of what got me really into the Civil War miniatures wise. But but I've always got. I actually went down the six millimeter, so I went down even smaller, where you could put like uh, maybe ten or twelve guys on a stand. Oh wow! I didn't know it went smaller. So <laughs> oh, dude, they make like two millimeter now. 
which wow. are like little lumps with helmets. Yeah. <laughs> Put a couple of dabs of paint on them and there you go. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the old GHQ uh, micro armor stuff, but that's like six millimeter scale. But they did a lot of nice, they made a lot of nice Civil War Napoleonic uh, figures in that scale, that six millimeter scale. We're, it's, we're talking about war gaming, okay, board gamers. So <laughs> some of you guys are like, uh, yeah, we're boring, Jason. I tears. checked out. Right, sorry. There's no tiny cubes or cylinders involved. <laughs> in the game. But, and so, so, so what about now, Kyle? Like, what kind of got you back into the uh, full force into the board war gaming, as opposed uh, to it was totally, it was totally random because I had. So I, I'd had my copy of Devil's Den, and I, I bought a copy of the 3W, uh, the Crusades Quad, also, which I tried out, and I played that after Devil's Den. Uh, and I think those are the only two that I'd ever actually bought. Uh, at the time, I just, my friends who had them, I just mooch off them. So, um, so I'd had these on my shelf, or I think they were up in the attic, actually. But I was at Gen Con, just walking around the Cool Stuff Inc. booth, um, on Sunday, which is their, you know, let's make a deal day. We have to get rid of all this stuff. We're not going to take it home with us. And, not, a, uh, not a sponsor of the show, by the way. <laughs> not a sponsor. Right, yeah, I guess. Um, so I just ran into a, a, and they had some war games there, but you know, the shelves are kind of picked clean by the end of, by the end of Gen Con. But there was a copy of uh, Victoria Cross Two from Worthington Games, which is the Zulu uh, Rourke's Drift and Hassan oh, yeah, and I thought, oh, this looks kind of cool. You know, I haven't tried an historical game in ages. So just on a whim, it was like 20 bucks or something. So I bought it and uh, took it home and played it and thought, well, maybe look, I'll look and see what else is out there. And so I went to Board Game Geek and got into the War Game forums and stuff and started reading about different games and things. And that just kind of set me on the whole crazy trajectory from basically three war games to something like over a hundred now <laughs> in the past uh, awesome. two years. So, yeah, you know, what's crazy. Uh, just on the guild today, uh, one of the guys was talking about the Pratson uh, Waterloo game that he was looking at the, the Pratson Napoleonics game, Pratson enterprises. I don't fucking mm-hmm. know. But again, I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, I think I might want that. It's like a <laughs> hundred like dollars. Like, uh, I don't know. But also, Kyle, you have like a really bitching war games club out where you're at, right? Like a permanent like setup type facility. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that and that I found also found just kind of an accident after because uh, I when I started getting some new war games, I was like, all right, well, none of my current gaming crew are into war games. And at the time, I kind of lost a portion of my gaming crew because there was a crew of guys that I'd been playing stuff like Arkham Horror and you know all the good Ameritrash stuff um, that I would get at Gen Con. And so we'd get together with these guys, but then they went and opened a brewery and all dropped off the face of the earth. I thought you lost them because the DEA had done a drug sweep. (laughs) (laughs) No, they went, but they, they were, they had been in law school. So they had all this free time. Right. Uh, And then, and then graduated, you know, they they all passed the bar exam and then realized, Oh, we can't find jobs. So let's open a brewery. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that's so cool. people that are starting new businesses don't have a lot of free time to play board games. So, uh, so I lost my, my my regular game crew, and uh, I had to go out and find uh, a new crew to game with. So I ended up looking on uh, Board Game Geek, 
and uh, just casting around somebody in the in the Carmel area to play to play war games, and met up with this guy at a uh, at a board game store here locally, and um, we uh, ended up I think played like Twilight Struggle or something. We didn't even play anything serious the first time, and uh, he said, "Have you heard about this club called Nineteen and One?" I was like, "No, no idea, no idea what it is." And uh, so he's like, well, let's go check it out. So we contacted the guy. Uh, the contact went at the club through their, like, Yahoo Groups website, whatever the heck it was. And uh, went and met this guy there at the club. And he's like, yeah, just anytime you want to come by, um, just let us know. There's usually people here on Fridays and Saturdays or whatever. And uh, it off. Okay, but, but let, just let me flesh this out a little bit. They have, like, a building. Right, like the yes. facility, so you can go in and you can leave games set up, and they have room. Is it like in a commercial area or like an industrial area? Or where? it's it's in an office building. Okay, like and, how did uh, they how did they get the facility? Uh, they the well okay. So some background on the club, um, which I found out once we you know met the the guy there at the club and talked to him. That I guess it's been around since the seventies. And started at Butler University, so it's it's been in different places over the years, um, and they would just move it around either to to you know the they'd find a better deal someplace else. So the the guys that run the club just went and and looked for bigger space um, from where they were last time, and just went to an office building and said, "Hey, we want to rent out this particular space or whatever," and uh, you know update the the office building. People were like, all right, well, here's what the cost would be to rent this suite for per month or whatever, plus utilities. Right. And uh, then they determined, like, okay, well, we have X number of members, so paying dues of X dollars per month, so here's what we can afford to do. So, so what so, are the, what? God, I feel like I'm interrogating Kyle. Kyle just <laughs> give me what are the dues, Kyle? <laughs> how much do you pay a month? <laughs> like, how much do you uh, pay? There? It's forty bucks a month for okay. members. Okay. Um, and what happened is, you know, if you when we uh, when we approach them at the club and and stop by to play games and stuff, uh, they don't just you know hand you a membership. Oh, here's keys to the club. You know, yeah. uh, you have to get to know the guys there and uh, you know and show up regularly to to for gaming events and stuff. Yeah, like they want to make they want to make sure you're not hazing. Yeah, they they want to make sure you're not going to bring chicks back to the club. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's a problem for most of us. That's true. <laughs> yeah, the games themselves have kind of weeded those issues. <laughs> yeah, a gaming club, not a big chick magnet. So, uh, <laughs> You're like, um, he was screwing some chick on top of my Labatel. No. <laughs> Get night. that guy out so, of No, here. no, that's that's against the club bylaws. Not, not cool. Or a guy. I mean, I'm not judging. It's so <laughs> don't judge. Don't, don't be normative. So, so, so you pay your so, so my buddy and I, we attended, you know, we, we got to know him and attended pretty regularly. And he actually didn't want to become a member because he didn't want to, he didn't think he'd use it enough to, to justify the $40 a month. Right. Um, and so he's actually not currently a member, but you know, we, we still came there on a regular basis, but they offered membership to me. So I said, yeah, I'll take it. Cause I wanted the, the, uh, I mean, it's a good, it's a great group of guys too, but the main reason I wanted the membership was to have access to the club. 24 seven. So yeah, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. Cause if, if you're not a member, then you have to have a member there to unlock the door you know, let you in and to make sure that, that, and for non-members to game, you can game all day for five bucks 
for non-members, which helps cover expenses for the club. Cause there's a lot, there's more non-members than there are members that come to the club regularly. So, uh, cause some people will come, you know, just once a month for board game night, they have like a random, uh, you know, not like not specific to war games, board game night at the club that draws in a lot of non-members. So sometimes they can get 15 or 20 people, uh, once a month. So that helps with expenses. So, stuff like so that. basically, if you pay the 40 bucks, you can go over there anytime you want, unlock it, and play a game. Yep. Do they have club games there, like games on the shelves you can play? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that's, that's basically guys are basically like donating or loaning games to the club for other members if they want to play them and try them out. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like the stipulation there is hey, play all you want at the club, just don't take these when you leave because <laughs> they're the, you know, other people actually, other members of the club own them. And then yeah, some right. like the that asshole at constant world that was walking around with uh, counters from my Labatile Moscowa game in his fucking pocket. What? <laughs> yeah. He was walking around. We were, he's like holding the counters and walking around the place. I'm like, will you leave them on the fucking table, please? Is that, is that your uh, problem child? Yeah. That was the weirdo oh. guy. That was the mm. problem guy. So you add that to his list of delightful attributes. Yeah, like, it makes you nervous when an old, and I'm not saying it's because he's an older guy, but when an older guy's walking around and holding the counters in his fingers, and just you're like, where are you going with that stuff? Like, <laughs> like, cause if, if you take a battalion, like yeah. I'm screwed. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that battalion is. At least take an informational marker. <laughs> yeah, I can lose that. Getting his like sweat all over it. If he took Napoleon, I'd be like, that's it. Drop the fucking counter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the band. The one, what's the one counter? In the... Dude, yeah, exactly. I made sure the Imperial Guard was down by my side of the table. Nobody's <laughs> But that sounds like an awesome club. And, and you're located, what area of the country are you located in? Just in case our, all our listeners from that area are uh, interested in maybe looking into it. Yeah, this is Indianapolis. Oh, forget it. We don't have anybody listening. <laughs> They're all your old gamers there. Shot in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, so, uh, by the way, uh, the Colts game is today. Yes. So, I, are, are you? I'm are you actually not, a Browns fan. So. Oh wow. So, yeah. you, so you don't care then? It's not a big deal. No, nah, I mean, I'll kind of root. I'll be happy if they win. I'll root for them or whatever. But I don't go out of my way to watch the games or. Or, or jump on the bandwagon around here. Well, that sounds like an awesome club. That sounds like a great deal. I yeah, wish I had cool. something like that. I could sneak out a, at night, like tell my wife I'm going to sleep downstairs, and then actually drive. <laughs> You're snoring. I'm going to go sleep downstairs. Dude, when my wife was a flight attendant, I seriously had the best deal ever, where she would be flying for like four days, and uh, by the time you know, after four days, you start to miss them, and then they come back. They're there for three days, and then they go fly again. <laughs> That's a good rotation. <laughs> marriage ever so good because you would regress back to like bachelorhood, be playing yep. video games and in your underwear, walking around all over the place, and then it's like half the week you were you had your wife there. But that's been me this weekend. Really? That's sweet. Yeah, my family wants to spend time with me, so I don't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That would work. Sneaky and I tell her I'm going for a run, and I would just go over the park. <laughs> and we do. We actually game. I just game. Was there this morning? We'll game on Sunday mornings a lot. I've got a regular face to face opponent there, Doctor Bruce. He's the guy that I'm usually doing when I'm writing AARs and oh, stuff yeah. about what I'm playing. He's the guy that I'm usually playing against, and his. We're always good for Sunday mornings because he says, you know, his wife gets up at like eleven, so <laughs> so we can. And he's up early. You know, he doesn't sleep. 
all that many hours a night. So he's like, as early as you want to go, I'm fine. Oh, that's <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, that's how it is with my wife in a, in a way because my wife will go to bed at 9 or something and she gets tired. So I'll be like, well, I'm setting up a Vassal game at 9.30. And she'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, you're gaming again tonight? I'm like, you're fucking you're asleep. asleep. Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> like, that shouldn't even count as a game. Like, yeah, that's, I could... that's, that was his view is that, yeah, that's – it's not costing me anything to go do this while you're asleep. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I get that. We're going to be buried next to each other when we die. I don't think I have to lay there while you're sleeping and just lay awake in bed next to you. That's not spending time together. They feel better when you're in the bed. They know where you are. Yeah. Well, my wife doesn't care. She's like, yeah, I don't even know when you come to sleep. I don't care. <laughs> just don't wake me up. <laughs> so Kyle, does your wife play games or no? Uh, yeah, not war games, but she plays, uh, although I have played Commands and Colors with her, but, oh, that's uh, cool. but she plays, she likes Arkham Horror and, uh, you know, the Ameritrash stuff. That's cool. Uh, yeah, that's, that's still pretty good. Play. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> so I wouldn't <laughs> do pretty well. <laughs> Any games at all, yeah, this for a lot of people would be. Seriously, yeah. Just to get something on the table. So I just wanted to also mention, too, we've kind of uh, I know last episode we had some issues with sound. So we've worked very hard to try to make sure uh, that the sound is better uh, this time. And by work very hard, I mean, Jason basically <laughs> emailed me like six times and then we didn't do any of the stuff that we talked about yeah. doing. <laughs> but we have tested this We're short on time. Yeah, we did test it before we actually got into so, this. I, I I was a little concerned. Having I did listen to the last episode and I noticed that Jason is incredibly loud and he's managed to mute us. And my my one concern is that maybe Jason's trying to make himself louder each episode to like feed his ego. Like he wants to slowly try to dominate the show and make himself louder and louder. That's the last it's, thing I'm gonna do. That's not what you want to no. do. That's not your goal. <laughs> I'm barely here anyway. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's it's weird too because like we talk on the podcast about stuff and uh I'll uh you know, whatever, we have some beers and so like I I also play games on Vassal with various guys who listen to the podcast. So, you know, I'll be talking to Ralph and he'll be like, yeah, so what'd you do? And so I'm telling him something. He goes, yeah, I already know you did this. <laughs> I'm like what? He goes, oh, yeah. It's on the pot. Like I forget about sometimes. Yeah. We're just having here. a conversation. It, it's weird because you're talking, like we're kind of talking to each other, but then you've got a group of like a hundred other guys that we're friends with who are listening also. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, right. you can't really talk about that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was strange. Run out of stories. Yeah, I mean, like, you're just, it's not even necessarily, like, big deal stuff, but it's just, like, Ralph's like, yeah, I already know you went to Magic Mountain for Christmas Eve. I'm like, yeah. all right, dick. I mean, I just was, I didn't think I should listen to the thing. Yeah, he jumped on uh, the game with Mitch and I last night, and he said he's going to make it out to Console World. Yeah, he was, he, I couldn't play Federation Empire with him last night, because, or a Friday night, because when, when my wife thinks we're podcasting, she basically counts that as a game. Uh, that's fair. It's, I don't it's three it. hours. I don't know, that seems unfair to me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my free job that I do. It's yeah, not. Dangerous. That's true. Well, that was one thing that uh, that Doctor Bruce and I were talking about was Constant World. Like that would be the the uh, if we could both get out there for that to do a full week. But we were, we, you know, he's got kids. I don't have kids, um, so that's it'd be a little bit easier for me to do it. But on the other hand, doing that would be okay. That would be my vacation for the year. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to figure out how to sabotage Jason's daughter's volleyball tournament. I am too. You and me both. (laughs) 
I'm gonna do what was that gal that came out and hit the they or the people hit her Nancy Kerrigan yeah. <laughs> the pipe take out the ankle. <laughs> so you're talking about injuring children? <laughs> well, if she if she keeps her grades up, she's not gonna be playing anyway. She has a tournament in Tucson this weekend, and she didn't play yesterday because her grades are shit. So we had to bench her yesterday to teach her a lesson. Fingers crossed. <clears throat> yep. Keep it up, kiddo. Yep. Grades, grades don't mean shit. No one cares keep, about grades when you grow up. Fucking off in math. If you listen, if you're listening, out. young lady, <laughs> your grades aren't important. <laughs> Especially it. math. It's all about it's all about meeting the right guy. It's all about meeting the right guy. A guy with a nice leather motorcycle jacket. That's all right, all with two daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Payback's a bitch. Well, we we've got a quiz, Kyle. Um, okay. And uh, I want to just say to start off that the quiz is not mandatory, so you don't have to take the quiz. Uh, it's a military history quiz. But if you decided that you didn't want to take it, uh, that would we'd be totally okay with that. So you don't have to take the quiz if you don't want to. No, I'm fine taking the quiz. Okay. I don't want to be the first person. To, I don't want to be the first person to decline to take the quiz. Right. That's the pressure. Uh, though apparently last time. Our, our intern, our, our podcast intern, Braxton, uh, collaborated with him all the answers to the quiz. But he swore to me on his honor as our intern that he did not do this. I don't know time. if you can trust that honor. Yeah. It's a crystal goblet once it's broken. Yeah, it. seriously. That's not clean living. But we just have to assume. So basically, um, we can only assume that uh, Campbell would have gotten a zero out of 16, mm-hmm. 18 or whatever it was in the last one. But we have a quiz now we're, we're assuming is legitimate. So Yeah, that was jarring too, that weird number. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he was doing well was really pretty <laughs> I was <very> shocked. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Kyle, are you up for taking the quiz? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And this is all garbage time. And I'm going to just say in advance, there's going to be a lot of garbage time. Oh, yeah. I've got a 47% charge on my iPad, so we'll see how long that goes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> just Better get the show on the road. Again, more, again, more stellar preparation. <laughs> and my wife is like, hey, let's check our Super Lotto tickets on the iPad. I'm like, plug that thing back in. <laughs> charge that sucker up for the podcast. Okay, so here we go. This is the... Quiz prepared by Braxton. Second quiz. This is a legitimate quiz, though. Question number one. Gustav Adolf the Great. I thought it was Gustavus Adolphus, but I don't know. I did, too. Gustav Adolf the Great reigned as king of Sweden from 1611 until his death in 1632, where he was killed in a battle during the Thirty Years' War. Kyle, name five battles where Gustav Adolf commanded the Swedish army. Uh, well, I have to do this without turning around and looking at my copy of Gustav Adolf the Great. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know. We've never said you can't just glance around the room. <laughs> uh, oh, there's, and all these have like these German or S- Swedish sounding names. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to try and guess that there's like a couple of Breitenfelds, so maybe a Breitenfeld. That's correct, but we're going to need you in the future to ta- say your answers as an answer, not as a question. <laughs> not as a speculative right. guess. Right. Of... Not as a throwing it out into the ether. That's <laughs> correct. All right, so so uh, first or second Breitenfeld, possibly okay. both. 
but certainly oh, something called something <laughs> called Reichfeld, yeah. The intern gave us one, so that's going to be correct. <laughs> yes. Um, oh. Gosh, this one's going to This is very hard. Because I, I just played Nordlingen, but he's not, he was dead by the time that happened. Okay, my charge, my battery's now down to 46%, so let's <laughs> So I need to do it before another percentage shaves off of there. Yeah, that's uh, a timer. <laughs> yeah, I think we have uh, Lutzen, I think there's one called Lutzen. Uh, Lutzen is a uh, Napoleonic battle. Okay. So that's going to be an incorrect answer. Um, oh, there's there's one that sounds Spanish. Uh, Alt, Alta Vesta. Oh, you got that one right. God damn, that is really good. I, this is that's one that I think I would have I'm trying to think of, of any that's not like Germanic sounding, and that one sounds more Spanish. Oh, no, hey, you know what? Lutzen is correct. Is it? Yeah, Lutzen is correct. He was actually killed at Lutzen. Ah. Wow. So well, I didn't know that part of it, but... <laughs> apparently, Lutzen's a very strategically located area. So. Yeah. Wow, good thing I looked at the actual answers. <laughs> let it be known. Let it be known that this isn't because I know a lot about the Thirty Years' War. It's because I'm trying to recall the names on the front of the box. <laughs> it's pretty good memory. Uh, I don't know on the other two. Okay, so you got a three out of five. Excellent job. Starting in 1962, the U.S. began using aerial bombing in an effort to assist the South Vietnamese Army in its fight against the NVA and NLF. Name five U.S. bombing campaigns in the Vietnam War, beginning after the Gulf of Tonkin incident in August 1964. So five U.S. bombing campaigns in the Vietnam War uh, after the Gulf of Tonkin incident. So are these like the code names? For yeah, the... like Operation okay. Such and Such. Uh, and and so, there could be multiples. There could be ones, twos, threes, fours. Yeah, because I know there's at least linebacker one and two, right? Yes and yes. Yeah. And uh, there's rolling thunder. Yes. Menu. Wow, good job, Kyle. I'm because I'm like a huge. Uh, Unfortunately, while I'm saying good job, suspicion is also building. If I was going to cheat, I would have done it on the Thirty Years' War one. <laughs> uh, uh, Rolling Thunder, Linebacker, like, Menu. Yeah, I was just reading a book about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Actually, it's because I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Nixon buff, and so I, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time listening to Nixon's tapes. And uh, he's always there. These bombing campaigns come up all the time. Um, are those available? What's that? Are those available online somewhere? Uh, yeah, on the um, the the Miller Center for Public Affairs at the University of Virginia. Hmm. On their, uh, I think it's MillerCenter.org uh, yep. has like just hundreds and hundreds of hours of these tapes. There you go. Something Jason can listen to while he watches NFL football. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's like a liter. I mean, they're they're. Fantastic! It's like being a fly on the wall uh, in the white and the Oval Office. I mean, it's just incredible. Hmm. All right, okay, so uh, thank you for that. I had linebacker one and two, Rolling Thunder menu. Uh, was there one called Breakfast? Well, is, is, breakfast. is, is that your answer? Yes, Breakfast. I'm going to say breakfast. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds there, delicious. Yeah, there is a. Uh, a Pierce brunch, but no, I'm lying. There's no <laughs> the other answers are barrel roll, steel tiger, tiger hound, 
Oh, that that wasn't creative. They used the same name twice. <laughs> Niagara One, Niagara Two, Commando Hunt, uh, Pierce Arrow, and uh, Operation Patio. That's interesting. Patio. Yeah, patio. Wow. I didn't. I didn't know any of those other ones. So <laughs> my knowledge ended at linebacker, menu, and rolling thunder. That's way better than me. I might have gotten linebackers. That's it. Because there was two linebackers, right? And I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got two points there, so you get four out of five. Oh wow. Jason, you you would you have done okay on that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I'm I'm excited to hear a Vietnam question because then I can actually participate in the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, let's not make the podcast all about you, though. So let's move on. Okay. Careful. I'll make my voice loud again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. You're going to find yourself silenced. <laughs> we'll fight in private, not in public. That's right. Okay, okay yes. so question number three. In November 1095, Pope Urban II called upon the Christian population of Europe to liberate the Holy Land from the Seljuk Turks. I love these uh, prep quests, like the, 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 the table setting. Yeah. Okay. Great, great job, Braxton. You're doing awesome. Heck Name yeah. five provinces, counties, and or kingdoms that participated in the First Crusade. So, so this is the First Crusade. Name five provinces, counties, and or kingdoms that participated in the First Crusade. Ooh, uh, I thought initially I would do well on this, and now I'm thinking no. <laughs> Because, yeah, because Europe was at that time, I mean, this is like, what, 1066 or no. These are basically, yeah, it's, we're not talking about uh, areas in the Holy Land. We're talking about areas in Europe that actually right. like participated either by sending troops or supplies, I guess, or alliances. Or... But, yeah, this was when Europe was just a mess of duchies mm -hmm. and who knows else. Oh, uh, I'm just going to guess uh, Naples, the Kingdom of Naples. Um, I'm going to check real close. No. No. Uh, you have four more answers. Oh, and I just played Onward Christian Soldiers not too long ago, which was broken down into different Frankish <laughs> groups. Yeah. Uh, some are, there, there are some that maybe afterwards you would say that was obvious. So, Wow, I think Braxton actually made a pretty tough quiz here. I think there were there were Saxons there, so Saxony. Um, no, okay. so that's too wrong. And I say I say no, not in a condescending way, because I would not have gotten that correct. So <laughs> there were also Normans there, so um, but there were Sicilian Normans, which I don't understand at all. But so I don't know if that would be Normandy. Uh, we'll just say Normandy and Sicily as those would be two separate answers. Correct and correct. Wow. Coming up from the, from the back. <laughs> you got a four, one answer left. And it's, it's because of, of just all uh, honored Christian soldiers. Is the, having just recently played that, I just remembered Sicilian Normans. <laughs> um, Some of mine know just from playing Kingdom of Heaven, which, by the way, listeners, if you don't have Kingdom of Heaven, you absolutely have to buy that game. If you're at all interested in the Crusades, it's great, fantastic. I've Crusade. played that one too, but not as recently. Oh, so good! Yeah, and it does all the it does all the Crusades. It's like six games, yeah. one. That's all got, the way up to Mongols the Mongols. Stuff yeah, there, yeah, yeah, the Mongols, everything. It's great. Um, there were, case, there were... the guy, 
Yeah, Kyle, hold on real quick. Just in case guys have just started listening, they haven't heard us talk about Kingdom of Heaven before. <laughs> MMP, absolutely buy it. Great game. Okay, sorry. Yeah, one more, one more answer. There were Frankish, but I don't know what, where the Franks were from. <laughs> Kyle, you're going to be kicking yourself on some of these. Mm-hmm. France, I guess. <laughs> France. That's no, my last. Oh, that's too general. Can too you be general. Specific. Mm. He said provinces, counties, and or kingdoms. I'm sure Ralph would be like, well, that province was in France, <laughs> so that should have been. Um, okay, I can't think of any Italians. I'm just totally drawing a blank. And Italians is nothing but provinces and counties and stuff. All right, I'm down to 42%. 42%. <laughs> Oh, you're not going to make it through this podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm floating out in space. I'm losing power, Kyle. <laughs> England, then. England. Is that too gen- general? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Good job. Wow. This is, I, I think you're doing very well. And yeah. it's an, actually an earned, genuine score. Yeah. Um, so far. Okay, the first, uh, this is always going to happen with these French names, but the first one is... Uh, Blois, Blois, B L O I S. Yeah, Blois. Blois. That was, in fact, I, I make if you, <laughs> if anyone ever watches my video A A R or D A R of Onward Christian Soldiers, you'll hear me struggle over pronouncing that. What's a What's a D A R? During action. Uh, during action. Purpose. So it's like your mid mid session or something. It's It's and, like a Callendale video, basically. Mm-hmm. You're just narrating what's going on. Yeah, and Kyle's put up a bunch of great videos. I've yeah. watched a lot of good videos and stuff. Uh, then there's Toulouse. I think it's Raymond of Toulouse. I think he's one yes. of the... Yep. There's Boulogne. Boulogne. The Holy Roman Empire. Ah. Flanders. Vermandois. Genoa, which I thought you were going to get when you were going for the Italian angle. Armenian Cilicia. Toronto, which I never would have gotten. Hmm. Uh, Le Duy in Valais would not have gotten that, but the big elephant in the room, the Roman Byzantine Empire. Uh, so I thought you were, that's when I thought, like, though, in the first crusade, basically, he's like, they kind of participated, but they were more like, uh, yeah, we thought we would, like, get help, not a bunch <laughs> of crazy crusaders showing up. Like, <laughs> The Byzantine Empire. And then he was like, hey, you guys all have to take an oath to me that any uh, old Byzantine provinces you take over, uh, you'll return to the Byzantine Empire. And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. They do it. And then they just fucking go off and do whatever they want to do. He's like, <laughs> And wasn't, wasn't the, one of the Crusades, the second or third Crusade, didn't they realize, like, oh, we don't, we're not even going to make it to the Holy Land. Let's just sack Constantinople. <laughs> yeah. They were parked around in the suburbs and they started just looting. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're they're on their way to, to reclaim the Holy Land, and instead they just pillage a Christian, a Christian well, city. There's a great series. Um, I'm trying to think who the author is. I, I, a three-volume series, like History of the Crusade, and it's written by an older guy. This is where, uh, I don't know if Jason would now go look and try to see if he could find the books or... The History of the Crusades? Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's a great series. It's, yeah, is it the one that we're talking about on the Guild? What's what's the no no not conc, it's not concise. What the hell? Let me look it up real quick. Um, but but basically, what would happen is the Crusaders would come and they would start to enter Byzantine territory because they're trying to march across the land, and the Byzantines would like have uh, 
armies to meet them. Like, hey, don't fuck with anybody. Like, they were basically trying to escort <laughs> them. Oh, Runciman, R-U-N-C-I-M-A-N is the author. And it's called The History of the Crusades. Three volumes, great. Hmm. It's really, like the whole idea of the Byzantines where they wanted help, but they didn't want the kind of help that they were getting. Right. And one of the Crusades, the Crusaders actually show up and they're like, oh man, it took us forever to get here. And the, this is after the Latin Empire had already kind of been established in Jerusalem. And the king of Jerusalem's like, oh, well, you know, um, that's cool that you guys showed up, but we're kind of okay. Everything's been, like, you know, they're like, seriously, we fucking travel. No, you like, don't understand. They're like, uh, well, you know, things are okay right now. They're like, dude, we're fucking attacking someone. Mm-hmm. So, they're some. like, how about the Syrians? How about Damascus? And they're like, well, they're kind of our allies. So like, fuck it, we're attacking them. <laughs> like, it's going to attack. <laughs> like, the local guys were like, well, I mean, the problem they always had was it wasn't about having enough knights. It was about having enough people to settle the lands. You know, there just weren't a lot of regular Christians that were willing to come to, to be the you know, like if you have a, a feudal system, they would try to go to the Latin kingdoms and set up a feudal system. But if you don't have the, the peasants and the right. regular guys there, it doesn't work as well. You know, whatever. I don't want to go too far down the road on that thing. But, but yeah, great job on the quiz. Okay. Uh, bonus question. This is question number four. So right now we're looking at 7, 10, 10 out of 15. Yep. Not bad. Pretty good. You ready, Kyle, for the bonus? Yep. All right. Okay. During the Italian campaign in World War II, the Axis powers created an elaborate series of defensive barriers on the Italian peninsula. Name five of the fortified lines constructed and used by the Axis powers. Excuse me for the burp. From 1943 to 1945. So five fortified lines constructed in Italy and used by the Axis powers from 43 to 45. Ugh. Italian World War Two, not my strong suit. Italian campaign, even less so. Um, the Gustav Line. Is is that an answer? Yes. Okay, correct. Because <laughs> that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Continue answering correctly. <laughs> I really don't know. That's the only one I can remember reading about. I suspect they're all other German names, but so you don't want to, you have no other answers. Uh, no, I'm just drawing a total blank. We have the Volturno line, the the Barbara line, the Bernhard line, the Adolf Hitler line. Egomaniac. <laughs> I could have guessed. I, I could have guessed the Adolf line. That would have been kind of a <laughs> the, the Caesar line. The Rome switch line, the Trasimeno line, the Arno line, the Gothic line. Uh, and, and Jim Braxton puts in, also known as the Green slash Passa Vermini line. <laughs> <laughs> Very thorough. Very good job. The I didn't know Khan. any of those other ones, so, well, so I didn't have any chance at even guessing those. There's the Genghis Khan line, the Po line, the Adige line, and the Alpine line. Hmm. Wow. The fact that there were there, there were so many lines should tell you a lot about how that campaign went. Seriously. It's like you get over one you get over one ridge and it's like, hey, oh, there's another ridge. And you're like, we're about to break through. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, it's another ridge. Just ridge after ridge. So I'm looking at 11 out of 20. Yep. 
So, good job. That's pretty good. That's respectful. That was really good. It's F plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. We're Just over fifty percent. Well done. And we partially tell you you did a good job because we want you to stick around for the rest of the show. So <laughs> Demoralized. Thanks for playing. Yep. We're like, hey, you haven't heard from Kyle in a while. <laughs> All right, so um, one of the things, uh, we I know we talked about Christmas a little bit, but I, I actually forgot to mention something that happened to me at Christmas. I was uh, I was dealing with my kids, and we were downstairs. My wife and I were downstairs in the house, and my little one, I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. My six-year-old came up, and she's like, Ava said a bad word, talking about my older daughter. And uh, so I'm sitting on the couch watching you. I'm like, what did she say? And she goes, she said, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? She goes, she said, fuck. I'm like, what did she say? She goes, she said, fuck. I'm like, stop saying the word. I'm like, you're ridiculous, girl. Like, I'm kidding. I said, you are going to make me crazy if you say that word one more time. She thinks she's just describing the word to me. So, oh, I, so my oldest daughter comes out. I'm like, where did you hear that word? And she goes, so she tried. She had watched Battlestar Galactica with us. So she goes, no, I said frack. Nice. <laughs> she tried to say that she said frack. I'm like, Ava, where did you hear it? And she goes, well, mommy drove us over to Costco and she got blocked in by two trucks. And she said, fuck. <laughs> and she and it had happened that exact day, so I was kind of hoping she'd be more like, "Oh, I heard it at school." Or, but I, so then, of course, now my wife is staring from downstairs because, like, she's ready to get on the defensive if I'm going to try to blame her for this. So uh, I'm like, "It's not important where you heard it from." <laughs> <laughs> backpedal, backpedal. And, and those some guys listening to the show might be like, "Oh, Dave, you curse," so I'm sure. But I actually don't curse around the kids. I don't so either. That's, yeah, that's I'm very careful about not. In our house, we don't even say, like, oh, my God, we're very careful with yeah. the girls to not do anything like that with them. Yeah. Uh, so then it's Christmas time. This was, like, a couple of days before Christmas. So I told her, we're like, I'm like, I basically called my wife. I said, you need to go handle that. I said, I'm going to go crazy if I hear them say that word one more time. We told them you're going to get the soap in your mouth. You can get suspended from school, whatever. So it's Christmas Day, and my mom came over early, and we're playing a game with the kids. And it was kind of this, uh, I don't know if it's called like a, a Malkala game or mm, yeah. it's like a stone movement game on like a wooden board. Yep. One of our neighbors bought it for us. So I let the kids kind of play a little bit before I got over there. But we're all laying around, my mom, myself, my two daughters, and I'm kind of showing them how to play because they had gotten the rules a little bit wrong about how the stones are supposed to move. So my eight-year-old gets a little frustrated. And so we're getting, I'm trying to show her how it moves and she's getting frustrated. And she goes, I don't understand this fucking game. Oh my gosh. And I was like, just frozen. Everyone froze. My mom froze. I froze. And I'm like, go up to your room. And normally that's like a stomping match where she's going to be upset or she just went up stairs. I went in, I got the soap. She opened her mouth. I put the soap in. (laughs) I pulled the soap out. It was very, but it was just like, I don't know. Like, they, they never have really said anything. I think we, I mean, she'll get suspended at school if she says that yeah. in her grade. But it was just kind of like, I was like, really? In front of my mom? Like, I mean, just, I don't know. Like, I think I haven't heard it since. So I'm kind of hoping that that's, but the look on my mom's face where like she was Seriously. like, but my mom's pretty cool. You know, she's like, oh, well, I'm sure she heard it from school. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure she heard it from school. <laughs> I know where she heard it. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. Just at the age, it's like shocking to. Yes. I also, I also saw a show on TLC recently. I don't know if you guys have seen this show. And Jason, you might have a connection with this show. Uh, not a connection in a way that you would be associated with it, but your wife is uh, was previously a Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. So her family's Mormon. Right? Yes, they are. So your wife's a kind of a Mormon off the rails. Yeah. Okay. They have this show on TLC called My Husband Isn't Gay. My Husband Is Not Gay. And what it is is it's these guys who are Mormon and they like, they prefer men. Yeah. But they're not gay. Yeah. They say they have SSA. Yeah, they is... have same sex attraction. <laughs> yep, I've heard that term. They, they, they did a whole, they did a whole hour episode of these couples and the guys are like, and they're, the guys are basically in, into men. Mm-hmm. They're married. And because they want to be LDS, they, they can't carry out their urges. Yep. That's not but, wrong as long as you don't follow through with it. According to the Mormons. Yeah. But, yeah, I had a whole argument with, with my in-laws because they, they subscribe to a magazine called Ensign, and it's it's the Mormon magazine. And they had a whole article in there about same-sex attraction, and I was fascinated. Like, why can't they just say gay or homosexual? Well, they're uh, not dude, acting it out. Like, no, they're, they're gay. Let them be gay. They, dude, the whole show was – I'm telling you, these guys all go – they go to play basketball – and one of the guys is driven like they have the basketball. <laughs> and one of the guys goes, "You ladies, ready to play some basketball?" <laughs> I'm like, "Really?" Like trying to push it up. And and they go, "There's these guys on the basketball court." And so these SSA guys go, "Let's play basketball." And they're like, "All right, cool, five on five. They go, they, "These guys go, your skins, we're shirts." They make the guys take their shirts off. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? And so then their wives are like, we just thought we would come by to check on the boys. And so they come by. To, I'm like, yeah, I bet you thought you would yeah. come by to check on them. Because they're playing with a bunch of guys with their shirts off. Bathhouse. <laughs> so so it's bizarre. Like, they, they meet some guys. They meet they meet a guy who, like, used to be SSA, but now he's gay. So he's like, oh, yeah, I decided I was going to be gay. And they're like, oh, you sure you don't want to? It's just like the whole thing was I'd never even heard of it before. But of course, TLC is happy to make a, no, an hour long show about it. it. Might be a series. <laughs> I don't know. So if you guys haven't caught it, it's really good. But I'll tell you what, the one thing that really uh, struck a note with me was at some point the wives are all talking and they go, Oh, yeah, you know, my husband, uh, I know he's SSA and yeah, he's got his interests. And, and these guys will be like, Oh, I think that guy's hot. But they'll tell their wives this. And uh, she goes, But they really need their guy time. And I was like, Hold on. I'm like, everybody stop talking. She goes, yeah, you know, he needs time to hang out with the guys and do his guy stuff. And he comes back, re- like, recharged. And I'm like, maybe there's something to this whole SSA thing. Like, <laughs> I told my wife that I'm SSA. not going to do anything. We've already got two kids. Time. If I'm telling that, can I say, like, hey, honey, I got to go uh, mm-hmm. play some war games with the boys. I need my guy time. Kind of <laughs> charge for batteries. Maybe she'd be like, oh, totally cool with it. And I'd be like, okay, well, you know. I mean, it seemed like they're allowed to go do all this stuff that I get a lot of shit for doing because <laughs> they're SSA. So I thought maybe, I mean, you're already married, you know. I don't know. I just thought that kind of piqued my whole interest with the thing where I'm like, wait a second, you're allowed to go to guy time? And like, that's considered, they're like, yeah, he comes back even better than before, even more committed to our relationship. I'm like, man, I might have been like misjudging this whole SSA thing. This might actually be a positive thing. 
Hmm. Are you nice. moving around, Dave? Why, you hear something? Yeah, there's a lot of scratching. A lot of rustling. How about now? That's much better. Was it rubbing on your stubble? Yeah, I don't know. I got a... Is it, is it really it sound, loud? It sounded like you were crumpling tissue paper. Oh. That's Maybe better I, now. Yeah, I think I've got a mic where I could clip it to something if I needed to. Um, yeah. we're, we've really upgraded all the sounds. So the, yeah, whatever that is, it's, it's causing some scratching. How about now? That's better. So do you hear scratching now? Nope. Okay. Just stay absolutely still. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yes, you guys haven't seen that show. I, I recorded it. I thought it was the greatest show. What is it called? My husband is not gay. My husband is not gay. But like, if you say to them you're gay, he's gay, they'll be like, no, absolutely he not. He is not gay. He is SSA. <laughs> he is he the has, opposite of gay. He, has he is SSA. not gay. Just fuck oh, Jesus. This seems crazy. Just fuck who you want, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really do. They don't want to be with the women. And some of them, a couple of them, the, the guys told the women before they got married that they were actually attracted to, to men. Uh, some of them, it was one guy was like married for like 17 years. Wow. And he told his wife that he was actually attracted to him. living a lie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Kyle, what have you been playing lately? Uh, well, this morning, uh, we set up musket and pike, um, under the lily banners doing the battle of, uh, Roqua, uh, from the 30 years war. Um, so that's been interesting. I kind of played it solo, uh, just to, to kind of go through the rules. And, um, it's interesting. People say that Musket and Pike, it's pretty heavy, uh, for tactical gaming, uh, which I don't know if I would say heavy as much as I would kind of fiddly. Um, just because there's so many, like you can react to everything. Yeah. The reaction, there's a lot of reaction. Right. And so, so every time you're moving your cab within four X's of another cab, then you, then, then your opponent has to make a decision. It's like, well, can I, should I intercept? You know, where are you going? You know, so, so it, and that happens like with every, <laughs> so almost every move is kind of pondered over and, and, uh, and reviewed and determined if you're going to react to this or react to that. And so, and then you can react to reactions. You can react to advanced after combat. So, so there's just a lot of, a lot of layers to it but so today was definitely you know it took us first of all it took us an hour just to set up and then uh you know going through that first pass of the rules so i think we made it through one wing activation in about three and a half hours sweet <laughs> yeah and, and it's not just even charging there's like reaction to whether they can change facing or like yep. to shoot it just yeah it is a lot there's a lot there yeah but it, it feels but you get a level of accuracy there, which I think is, you know, it's the same way that, that Labatt has a lot of elements to it, but you, you feel like it is representing Napoleonic combat pretty well. And so that, that's how this felt was that it was, it felt representative to me of, of that era of combat where you have to, where you have these different orders for your different wings and, um, they can, terrain is a huge deal. So if you're, if you're under charge orders, but you go over too many slope lines, now your guys are all out of formation. So do you try and change orders to, to, to reform all your ranks and then continue your charge? So it, just elements like that, where, where combat was so highly organized and ordered at the time, feels pretty good. That's we'll cool. see how it goes. And you've been playing the civil war too. Is that the game? Is that a game you want to review? 
yeah. Okay, so I don't know if you want to... We could talk about that maybe when you want to get more towards reviews. What other games? Any other games you've been playing? Uh, solo at home, I'm playing uh, Founding Fathers, which is... Um, the a there's there's like two games with the name Founding Fathers. This is one by a designer named Rick Helly. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's H E L I is his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a kind of a re theming of the old Avalon Hill uh, Republic of Rome. I think that's the right title. Um, but this one's with the the founding of. The United States. So you're, you're controlling different statesmen of, of either conservative or liberal, uh, for that era philosophy. Um, and, and just literally going through issues of the era. And so you assign offices to the different statesmen, uh, use influence that those statesmen have to pass or, or fail certain issues, uh, which kind of decides the fate of the country. And, uh, it just had an expansion that came out a couple of months ago. Uh, called Offices and Statesmen that adds like more statesmen um, and a couple of new offices like Secretary of the Navy and Attorney General and stuff to the to the game. And it also included solitaire rules. So I'm giving the solitaire rules a try. Nice. Uh, Which it's not as much of a war game, just kind of a more of a political type game. Yeah, it's like it's like political history. I guess you could it's like a political history strategy game. Um, if you, you can play up to six players with it and, and, and that instance, like the more multiplayer it gets, the more of a negotiation game it becomes. You know, it's funny. Like when I read about stuff, like about the old U S government, it's about how penny pinching they were. Like nowadays you hear about our government and they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to spend like a billion dollars on this. And they would argue over stuff like, like whether to fund one ship in the Navy or like with the stat, I was watching drunk history and they were talking about like, <laughs> the French were basically like, we're going to give you this statue. And they're like, man, I don't know if we want it. Like it was so, <laughs> so petty pinching. They were like, who's going to maintain the statue? Like they were like, those are the kinds of things they would argue about. And now it's just like, but back then it was a big deal to spend money. But, and, yeah. and that's, that's a big part of the game is you have your reserves and your revenue and there's tariffs and taxes and, so I just passed the the contentious whiskey tax uh, to to put a little more money in the the uh, coffers. There you go. But the the economy is going well, and not in the negative and and reserves. So, but we'll see. Some wars are probably coming. That's <laughs> <laughs> gonna put a dent that in happens. my my conservative Hamiltonian. I like it. Uh, economic policy, but we'll see. I'm about I'm about six turns in. I've had uh, Washington was just a one term president. And he was followed up by George Clinton, and then, uh, Sweet. and then after Clinton um, was Hamilton, who was two terms, and then uh, right now I'm in the second term of the Oliver Ellsworth presidency. So, <laughs> wow, that's awesome, nice. So a little alt history, but but it's all you know, all the issues and stuff are these historical events that really happened, and so the they have different outcomes if you if you resolve the issue. Uh, it can benefit your party or help the country or cost money or, you know, any variation of things. Or if you fail it, then you can have other consequences, not necessarily bad. So it's just, it's fascinating, really. Hey, if you so, guys hear weird noises too, make, make sure you let me know because I'm trying to figure out a good spot to stick yeah, my mic. Right. So, all right. So, but just a technical note. Well, that sounds like a very interesting yeah, game. That's, that's so, cool. And that's called Founding Fathers. Yeah, and there and this is on Board Game Geek. There's like two versions of the two versions, and one is a totally different game, and that that's 
This is the one that came out in 2007. So if you're looking it up on Board Game Geek, you'll see the 2007 version. That's the that's the one that I'm playing. 2010 version, I think, is by some other company. Yeah. It's a different yeah. game entirely. I think that's from the Twilight Struggle guy, right? The other it's, one? Yeah, I think it's that same system. I don't know if you guys have the game on, but Russell Wilson just got lit up. Oh, like hit? Like sack? Yeah, look. <clears throat> I mean, his head got twisted around. You know, I, I can't stand Seattle's defense. I got to say, though, I always feel kind of bad because I, I actually think Russell Wilson's a good guy. He mm-hmm. comes off as a pretty good. The defensive players, I can't yeah, stand. They're all douchebags. Yeah, cheap shot jerk offs. But, but so it's always bad because I feel like, uh, like the defense comes out, pisses everyone off, and then the poor offense has to <laughs> the get them back on their side. Yeah. <laughs> and since they lost Golden Tate, Golden Tate was another guy who developed into a total dickhead. When he was over the Seahawks. But as a 49ers fan, I understand yeah. that I, I'm biased. Yeah. We're not even in the playoffs. As a Cardinals fan, I'm right there with you. A little bitter. So. Green Bay's up 16-0. So. Hey, so I was, well, I was, I was downtown uh, in our beautiful city the other day, and I saw they, have a, uh, they had a little protest going on in our downtown area. And so it's like they have like maybe like uh, 10 people there. But the, what the camera crews do is they all surround it, so it looks like it's a giant rally. <laughs> evening news, so like they they angle all their cameras, so it looks like the entire they area. They fill up the whole right. view. Yeah, but it's like six people in a bongo drum, basically. <laughs> and it's still with it's these anarchists, like these guys who are doing the anarchy thing. And I don't know if they'd done stuff over in Seattle. They'd wrecked some stuff and they <laughs> did the Occupy LA stuff a while back. But I was thinking when I was watching this thing, I'm like. Um, if you're like an actual anarchist, I think you need to like. Did you drop off? I think Dave just. You guys are. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, because my now, my, my iPad is now synced with my wife's phone. If she gets a call. <laughs> 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 we could have like my mother-in-law oh, in. Jesus. I'll be like, Hey, Beverly, what's going on? Feel free to. Well, you really left us hanging there, Dave. I know. <laughs> and. <laughs> But, but I was I was looking at the guy and I'm like, um, the guy's like a skinny like hipster type dude, and I'm like, have you really thought about what anarchy mm-hmm. is going to be like? Like, have have you watched the movie Road Warriors? Yeah, you yeah. need to start like lifting weights and exercise because <laughs> you're not uh, going to make it. Learn some life skills. <laughs> yeah, they're going to take your girlfriend away from you. Like, Stop <laughs> focusing on your beard so much and learn how to do something with your hands. Yeah, I don't think they've really thought thought out how real anarchy. I mean, I get that you're like, oh, anarchy, like down with the government. Well, what's anarchy really going to be like? I mean, my question is always, okay, so if I come up and shoot you as an anarchist, are you going to call the police? Because no, you don't right. get you don't get that right as a as an anarchist. Right? Isn't yeah. it just like every person for themselves? Yeah, do your own thing. So I get right. to you know. Yeah, so your your biochemistry undergraduate degree isn't really going to pass for you. Yeah. <laughs> society. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems. I always think it's a very. I guess it's just maybe something they say or. But some know. of these guys are real believers. I mean, they're dude. They're camping out in the. I mean, yeah, it is Los Angeles. So let's be honest. Yeah. So, so Indianapolis, I'd be more impressed if they're camping out in Indianapolis during the winter. That'd be a little bit more significant, maybe. But Los and Angeles. You could- you know, you could understand like a because the, the anarchist movement was like a big deal too in the the nineteenth, like late nineteenth century, mm-hmm. into the early twentieth century. But there was it was anarchy against a like essentially a, a caste system or a royalist, you know, a monarchy system, which you could understand why people would want to protest against, you know, rage against that in some way. Right here, you know, it's a, it's a popular 
it's a Republican democracy. <laughs> right. I don't understand what, what, you know, you're not, there's no tyrannical overlords. Just go elect somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I guess, my, I guess my question is, is the goal of anarchy to tear down the system and have no system to replace it? Or do you want to tear it down and do something, something better? Different. Hmm. Right. I, I think the 19th century version, you know, the, the, the that movement was yet yeah, tear down the existing order. Um, more than just, yeah, does does everybody do what they want? But but I don't know what you would be basing your philosophy on today. What system you would be? I mean, I assume that if someone's an anarchist, they want anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Isn't that your goal? Like, if you're a re- Republican, not party wise, but political philosophy wise, you support a republic. Or if you're democratic, you support a democracy. I mean, it's part of your fucking name, anarchy. <laughs> so, like, if you're an anarchist, like. Uh, what are you going to do, dude? Like, can you yeah. even make your own fire? Can you, like, exactly. <laughs> when you run out of prepackaged granola bars, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're a dead man. That doesn't like I said, well. Road warriors. Yeah. That's, that's what, it, that's how it comes out. A big giant guy who is, who does about thousand pushups a day with a mohawk. Spikes on his shoulders. Yeah. He's going to be running your life. <laughs> yep. And if you're smart, you're going to be the the uh, herald guy they send out to go tell the oil police people to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just not going to reward a lot of intelligence. Yeah. It's going to reward brawn and and violence. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I don't, I don't have much brawn. Kyle, how about you? Are you think you'd be good in anarchy? No, I would I would die before the the revolution even ended. <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I was finishing up Matterhorn, a, a Vietnam novel, <clears throat> and this guy keeps getting through stuff. And I was thinking, man, like playing war games and stuff where we had our laser guns and the little pods all over you. I got shot every fucking time. Like I'd oh, be my, one of those guys. Miles just, gear? With Miles Gear? Yeah. <clears throat> I always managed to get shot. I'd be one of the just dead guys on the side of the hill. They'd never write a book about me. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. You never hear about those guys. Right? Yeah. Got killed. Yeah, I'd be the one, you know, that, that oh, anarchist riots broke out in Indianapolis yesterday. You know, there were there were fifty <laughs> casualties. There, yeah, there, no, there were fifty six people killed. You know, I'd be that footnote and yeah. one of the six people randomly killed in the in the initial rioting. No, here this is this is a, a life lesson I can maybe give to the, the podcast listeners. This is one of my main beliefs as far as survivability. If you're witnessing something that you've never seen filmed or you've never heard anyone talk about, run away because whoever <laughs> saw it is dead. So like if you're looking at a World Trade Center that's about to collapse or a yeah. volcano that's erupting, you're like, oh, or maybe a tsunami where you're like, oh my gosh, the water's starting to go out in the ocean. This is so cool. Like, no, run, start running the other way. Get away. There's a reason why you've never seen this thing <laughs> because no one who saw it ever lived <laughs> to talk about it. So yeah, be brave. There was a famous World War II photograph of a of a of an explosion on deck of a ship. Captioned with, you know, the photographer was killed taking this photo. Wow. Yeah, yeah. scary stuff. Flee, flee, yeah. run, run quickly in the opposite direction. Keep your head down. What about you, Jason? What have you been playing? Uh, Fire in the Lake with some guys on the guild. That's right. Uh, still playing 1989 with Mike on uh, played by email Vassal. It's going slow, but it's actually been fairly engaging, which play by email games sometimes aren't. And starting up a game of Labyrinth on. Vassal play by email. Well, wow, you're just all coin right now. 
Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And then, uh, let's see, solo, I'm playing Phantom Leader. I've been playing some uh, Silver Bayonet, too. Did you play with Mitch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we played last night. How does that compare to 1965 to 75? Uh, we'll talk about that later. Oh, no. wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Foreshadowing. I've been playing uh, Federation Empire with Ralph. Nice. Uh, we couldn't play because I was podcasting, but what I, what we found anyway is that like uh, the movement and combat phases we can do live, but frankly, the other stuff is just it's like accounting basically. Hmm. Trying to figure out my field repairs, my production. So we we tend to we're going to start trying to do all that offline and just email that to each other so we can kind of because you you might have a quick combat turn and then you're like oh well now my production starts the other guy's like I'm out I'm not going to sit here and listen to you go through your production building and converting ships and doing all this stuff it's not worth it so that makes sense yeah so we've been playing that Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Festung Budapest solo which has been fun. And then uh, Pete Gade and I have been playing, we've been going through ASL, Beyond Valley. Mm-hmm. And we played a uh, like kind of a recon scenario called Red Packets out of Beyond Valor. And I blew up a bunch of Pete's uh, armored cars. He tried to close assault one of my tanks. My tank machine gunned the living shit out of all his guys, <laughs> even though it was immobilized. And he almost got, he had this he had this truck with an artillery piece mounted on it. It almost got off the, the map, which is his goal to try to win the game. And then uh, my, my leader had an anti-tank rifle and fired it from the second floor of a stone building. And the round bounced. I rolled like snake eyes and killed everything and destroyed the entire truck. So Yeah, because ones are, ones are good, right? ASL, you want ones. I rolled a, basically, I rolled a, uh, it, for the close combat attack with the tank, I needed a four or less. I rolled a two and a one to kill everyone. And then I, on, on the anti-tank shot, I hit him. I, I needed a 10. I got a 10. And then for the tank kill shot, like I needed like a four and I rolled snake eyes. So I just hmm. completely fucking obliterated the tank. So they're, or the, the truck. So they're like, oh, we're almost there. They're driving. <laughs> also, this rounds ricochets through everything and ends up in the magazine. RPG, <laughs> So that was good. So we had fun. So now we're moving. Pete and I are moving on to Valor of the Guards. Sweet. Never to be seen again. Yep. It disappeared. And I played a little Next War Taiwan, but we'll talk oh, about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Talk about that later. So. I've been listening to two Half Squads podcasts. Oh, yeah? They're don't, good. Don't doubt have that. You guys, have you guys listened to them at all? Uh-huh. Do you guys listen to any other podcasts? I listen to a lot, but I don't listen to them. But I know Haggerty was a big fan of them. Well, they're good. They're very, guys are very funny. They're Australian, is that right? No. They're oh. from uh, Chicago. Close. <laughs> what about What's, you, Kyle? What, what other podcasts do you listen to besides Advanced Up to Combat? Uh, I listen to Guns, Dice, and Butter. Okay. Which is Hair Doctor's podcast. Um, and that's like the only gaming-related one that I listen to, aside from Advanced After Combat. That's plenty. And, and obviously all three podcasts are great. I, I it's hard Some for me are to just listen. greater than others. Well, it's hard for me to listen to the interview ones. Like I just don't. It's it's difficult for me because sometimes the guy they're interviewing or the game designer, some of these guys are kind of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> or they're like, can they think they're the shit or whatever? And it's hard to listen to as they go through the whole interview process. So I don't do as well with that. Uh, two half squads are great because I think the guys are very funny. Yeah, and they're very loose. Um, but it's the amazing thing is all these guys do is play ASL. Yeah. So and mm-hmm. yet sometimes I'll hear them talk about rules 
and they're wrong. About <laughs> it's just one more statement about how complicated ASL can be sometimes. Where they're on episode like 170 or something, yeah. 120 or 30, sure. and they're still talking about stuff. And I'm like, I don't think that's right, actually. Hmm. That's Speaking of podcast, there's a new MGR episode. Messy Game Room. Oh, when did that come up? Uh, just today. That's good news. Yeah, we'll see what they cover. Yeah, more Mike and Marshall. What were you saying, Kyle? Uh, the guys at the club are, are big ASL. There's a, there's a whole kind of core group of guys at the club that are all big ASL guys. And uh, it's funny when we're there playing something else while the, there's an ASL game going on. And these guys are they've been playing ASL against each other for 30 years. Uh, and they will st- every time will inter- erupt in lots of arguments and name calling. And <laughs> oh, well, see, we <laughs> every don't... time, and, they, and they've been playing just against each other. This you know this incestuous group of of ASL players still. For thirty years, you know, still arguing over <laughs> wow. over this or that or particular rule or whatever. So it's just funny to listen to because it's uh, you know just a bunch of a bunch of guys just cackling at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, my thing, I would say that it, like Pete and I play, and we have a lot of fun because like when I rolled Snake Eyes, he's like, "What?" Like we just go crazy about it, but we no. don't. We're not competitive, so it's not. If, if you're going to be competitive, I think that adds a, a, a you know. A, a, part to the game that's not fun. And that doesn't seem like the game to be competitive over. It's more oh, of the, the experience, right? Like They're really competitive. There's a lot of competition. Oh, it's, it's a big tournament type game. But, oh, man. I couldn't but, imagine. But Pete and I are the exact opposite. Like Pete does imitations of my guys as they're dying. <laughs> like, it's just like <laughs> the same type of game, really. Um, but yeah, I thought I just thought it was incredible because I, I started listening to Two App Squads quite a bit, and they, they get really into some of the products. And I figured these guys have got to be veteran ASL players. They're doing Tarawa and stuff like that. But hmm. man, they were getting them wrong. That's crazy. Like, yeah, I don't think that's how interdiction works. <laughs> I, listen, I don't listen to them. So, I think I think some of them kind of enjoy it. <laughs> they enjoy the arguing. <laughs> the, the cool thing about it is, and I'm going to save some of this for the ASL Lucas Brooks minute. Um, but but the the cool thing is, there's stuff like, hey, I'm on a narrow street type of terrain. Well, what does that do? Well, you can't turn your turret to the sides if you're a long barrel turret gun because the buildings are blocking. You know, it restricts your turret rotation. They have rules for the reason it seems like a complicated system is there is a rule for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but they don't come up that often. Whatever. We'll see. Because it's small unit, like you can't just, it's, it, it's more difficult to abstract that kind of stuff away when you're that small of a. Yeah, no. Oh, you know, Kyle, that's a great point because one of the reasons, uh, I had sold all my, uh, skirmish scale miniatures to Andy Cowan is I had a game at my house where it was, a, it was called Disposable Heroes and it's a miniature scale type game, uh, uh, skirmish scale. So you're going to do like one to one, like a guy is a guy. And when you start, because there's no abstraction at that scale where the figure is a guy. Guys want to argue with you over whether they could jump over a hedge or a fence, or oh, I could do that. I'll go outside right now and jump over. <laughs> like motherfucker, like I'm serious. I cannot. There were so many more arguments about the fact that it was skirmish scale that I said that's it. I'm not yeah. playing any more skirmish scale miniature because guys are like, oh, I could make that shot from there. Like how come he can't shoot that? So annoying. <laughs> I basically it was one of the games where I almost threw everyone out of my house. Nice. Like I was like, everybody's out of here. We're done. We're not playing anymore. 
and I sold the entire. I never played another skirmish unit. <laughs> Emotionally scarring. Yeah. Yeah, because when it's bigger scale, you can abstract. You can say, well, mm-hmm. this reflects the fact that the skirmish companies are falling back, or you know. But when it's one to one, you can't really do it because you're saying he's a guy. So that figure is capable of everything that a person would be capable of. I don't know. So. We could, do you guys want to do the ASL minute or you want to do, uh, we already did a, a little bit of ASL, so people start getting pissed off if I do too much ASL. <laughs> uh, do you want to, how about, how about we have Kyle, uh, do his game review? Can we take a break real quick? I need a drink. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll, I'll get the charger from my iPad. That's Cause a I'm idea. at 26% power pack. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to make it. Just skirting with the edge. Yeah. All right. All right. I was smart this time and actually made a couple drinks beforehand. Yeah, I brought an extra Guinness up to my den. Sadly, I've had to curtail my hard liquor consumption. Yeah, I remember reading that. Something happened, right? Yeah, just some health-related issues. But nothing nothing serious, more inconvenient. The inconvenient being that I can't drink as much hard alcohol. Yeah. Just because it's, it's, it's heartburn-related issues that I've got. So. Oh, yeah, that sucks. So hard alcohol, not good for the old esophagus. Mm-hmm. But I can handle beer, so. That's something, at least. Yeah. That's all I've been drinking lately is just cocktails. And I, st- I still can drink cocktails. I just can't consume them with the joy and vigor. <laughs> vigor, just... yeah. As I get older, I can't do that either. I had, microphones. I had three on Monday. I took a buddy out for his birthday and had three. And then the next morning, I was like, "Whew!" That, that used to not be the case, but man, took a toll. Welcome to old. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay. Yep. Good. Is there any static? Not currently. Your, no. your microphone noise? Okay. I got it clipped to my collar, so we'll see. Sweet. Very professional. Yeah. I thought you got like the gamer over the ear, like coach headphones. Oh no, I have headphones, but it's it, the uh, the mic is still part of the cord. Mm. Oh, like a like a phone thing. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, don't judge me. I'm not judging. I'm I'm looking for suggestions. Rick bitches me at bitches at me every time we are online together. It's like I hey, don't use the inboard microphone on your laptop. Oh, geez, are you kidding me? Rick, I played Rick once, where, or he was sitting in on one of was our games. Was that a good Rick impression? Rick was like, uh, it sounded like someone was screaming electronically into a shower head. <laughs> like, like a jet turbine. I'm like, whose fucking microphone is that? He's like, oh, sorry, man, it's fine. Like, Rick's was terrible. Hmm. We had to kick him out of the game. He was like, and he was observing, but you couldn't even have him there because his microphone was so crazy. <laughs> so... You want to do your ASL minute, or should we get into... uh, No, we can do reviews. Shall we let Kyle go first? Yeah, hold on. Shit, i got to go get my fucking charger. I forgot my charger. Hold on. Fuck right. Bye. I'll be back. All right. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I'll be back. What happened is I went down, I grabbed two beers, and then my wife was telling me for like an hour about how she watched the Packers. My wife's a big Packers fan. so she can ask. Uh, the game was at a different time, so she missed part of it, and now she really, but they're up 16-0, and Russell Wilson's having a terrible game. 
and uh, I said, I said, yeah, but he's a good guy. And she says, yes, but he plays for the wrong team. So, all right, so give me five seconds. I'll Sounds be good. Back. <laughs> oh, my my iPad's at eighty seven percent. Oh sweet, you got plenty of time. <laughs> the sound on those is actually pretty good. Yeah, I I prefer to use it like if I'm if I'm uh, online, uh, you know, gaming with a buddy or something. I'll usually set my set the iPad up as opposed to trying to do it through my computer or my headset, just because it's easier to deal with. Yeah, and usually it ends up with better sound. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty solid. Hold on, I'm gonna lock my dogs out. This fucking dog door is driving me crazy. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Right. I'm so sorry for the delay. It's quite all right. Cut it all out. A year and a half of podcasting. You think I would have gotten this down by now? <laughs> I locked my dogs out so that the dog door flap would stop rattling oh but th- does that mean people will miss out on all the dog barking yeah that's all right <laughs> that was a feature <laughs> it'll be in the first half of the episode so, we so were... are you reviewing the civil war or am i reviewing the civil war sure I-, I guess the question really is jason have you hit the recording button yeah we're recording <laughs> Before Kyle, it's like, okay, hey, Kyle, that was a great job. We're going to need to kind of do that thing over <laughs> Just again. Just redo, redo the last 15 minutes. This time, but with less intensity. <laughs> or more intensity. Eh, either way. Um, so I hadn't actually played. This is, okay, so this is uh, Victory Games, the Civil War, uh, considered kind of a, a an essential if you had your, you know, here's the 10 war games that you should have on your shelf kind of discussion. It's one of those that would, that would usually turn up in that kind of discussion. Yes. Um, one of my war game bucket list type games, um, just cause I'm a, I'm a huge civil war buff and this is the one that everybody points to when you say, Hey, you want to play strategic level civil war? Um, this is the one that should be at the top of your list. So I played it solo once, uh, to kind of learn the rules and see, see what it was about. Uh, but I hadn't played it opposed before, and so my uh, buddy at the club is a huge fan of the game, and he's played it, I don't know, probably a dozen times or so. Is this, is this the, Dr. Dr. Bruce? Dr. Bruce, yes. Okay. Um, now, is Dr. Bruce a medical doctor? Yes. So do you try to work in, like, various maladies you might be suffering from to try to get free <laughs> medical advice? Like, be like, oh, man, I've really been urinating a lot lately during the week. I've taken a lot of visits. I don't know what could be causing that, or... Yeah, because I could. Can I can I run this by you so I don't have to go see a specialist for <laughs> I've dollars? I've got this suspicious mole. <laughs> I try. I try not to do that. That's a good idea. Because, because I, I, he's, a, he's a reliable. He's a reliable gaming opponent, lest I drive him away with my uh, relentless medical <laughs> querying. Your mal- maladies. But yeah. if you would have a heart attack during a war game, he'd be there for you. Yes, he, he's an ICU doctor, so he knows he knows his business. Nice. Um, but yeah, so he's the one I was playing against. Uh, so he, he was more experienced, which was good because, um, and you know, he kind of knew a lot of the rules without having to look them up. Um, but which is, which is good. You have somebody who can kind of help explain a game, even though we were both looking up rules, uh, pretty regularly anyway, as we played. So, uh, and we played, did you guys use the far West? 
Yes, that's what I was gonna. That's just what I was gonna get to. The, there's so there's two ways you can play. You can there's the 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 regular game, which is what most people play, and then there's the far west option, which adds like a part of this second map that shows Texas and New Mexico. All for almost no impact on the actual game. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a complete waste of time, but it's fun. <laughs> and, and the only reason that I wanted to play it was because I'm sort of a completionist, like a compulsive completionist that way. So it's like, well, if it's there, we should use it. <laughs> right. Um, and, and it was kind of, it, it was interesting because it was a good way to burn points, which... Um, the game works on a like an impulse system where you roll initiative rolls uh, that like uh, I just can't drawing a blank on the term, but like your your initiative rolls are rolled in competition against each other, and then the difference is the number of command points that you'll have to spend on a particular impulse. Um, and usually you end up with like one or two points difference because you're rolling two d six. And he'll roll an eight and I'll roll a six. And it's like, okay, so he has two command points. He has the initiative and then it's, we each have two points to spend on giving orders or whatever for that turn. And so you end up with, if you end up with one point, there's not a whole lot you can do because usually it takes two points or three points to even move a commander with, with troops. Um, and that's based on the commander's rating, right? Right. Yeah. So the commander will have like a rating of uh, the good ones will have two, the bad ones will have three, the really bad ones will have four. Um, so w- when you end up with those ones, those those uh, one point differentials, it's like, oh, hey, I can burn a point in the far west moving Indians around, uh, as opposed to having to because you can't you can't say, oh, I don't have anything I can do with one point. I'm just not going to do anything. Like you have to spend that one point. Can you spend can- one point to just move one SP? Yes, Without you can. You can. Um, and, and the North can do that a lot. That's an easy way for the North to burn points. The South, not so much. Because you have a lot less guys and you have a lot less places that you, that you want to move them around. Most of the time, most of your time as the South is spent like getting all of your defenses already arranged. And then, you know, you may have, usually it was, I needed three points to move one of my armies around. Right. I ended up one point. But I don't have any strength points in places where I don't want them currently. I mean, it, so. it, it's just funny because this is a game that as a teenager I played so much. We loved this game. So, like, it's burned into my mind. <laughs> like, John's, Joe Johnson is a three. J- uh, Jackson's a two. Lee's yep. a two. Like, uh, Van Dorn's a two. Like, <laughs> you remember all these stupid leaders. Because you knew what, how many points they were because it was like, oh, Another and and we rolled so many one differentials in this game, <laughs> where where both of us uh, each time a one would come up, we'd be like, "Fuck, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I cannot you, do shit with this." Another another one, great. <laughs> you begin to hate the various army commanders. You're like, "Beauregard, get out of there! I need to put yeah. something else in charge." Oh, he got fired. He got fired uh, as soon as Jackson became a three star commander. Beauregard was in command of the Army of Northern Virginia. And uh, as soon as Jackson got his third star, Beauregard was fired, and I moved Jackson out there. Yeah, there was a gamey aspect where you would send, like, they had to command something, but I guess if they were in the same hex, the more senior guy would command. So you would send, like, Butler off to command some, like, weird group. You know, you would try to send these bad <laughs> commanders off to, to command some garrison, but which was not maybe that unusual. They actually did send those guys off to do that stuff. Right, and and the North does it. We call it the Springfield Poker Club because <laughs> right. that was where you'd put one SP in Springfield, Illinois, 
and then you would send every shitty Union commander to go right. stack in that on that one strength point in Springfield <laughs> so you could get your good guys combat experience and keep your bad guys out of the way, which is it's totally gaming. Right, because the goal is to promote up some of your guys like Jackson to get the higher rank so they can command an army, but they have to be in battles, and you're praying they don't get killed. Oh, and it was this game was bad for the Confederates, too. I had a lot of deaths. Um, and In fact, uh, Joseph Johnston, who was in command of the Army of Tennessee at the time, just got outright killed in a battle. Which you, to, to kill a commander in a battle, first you have to roll snake eyes, and then you have to roll a seven. <laughs> and that's what I did. I rolled snake eyes, and then a seven, and then he was dead. <laughs> yeah, he's good. So the odds and, are so slim, and yet it happened. Did you play with the the option for lions to be a uh, three star? Uh, yeah, we we played with the like. J- there's there's some rule where Jackson and lion can auto- get get killed at a certain po- like automatically get killed. I see. But we, but we played with the one where you can keep you can keep playing with them. So he had lion commanding the army of the Tennessee. Right. Um, for and until but once Grant then gets his fourth star, he can command two armies at once. Well, and the cool thing about the game too is you have you have certain commanders that change right as they promote up, like Hood. Yeah, his quality change. He's really good when he's a low when level a, commander. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, so and Hood gets yeah. By the time he gets his third star, he's like giving die rolls away. It's just he's right. just terrible. <laughs> So, so when you're and, really bad, you give bonuses to your opponent. When you're good, you get bonuses. Right. So like, uh, like, like, so for Lee, he, he, he costs two points to move, which is really good. Uh, and he gives, he, he gets three rerolls for your side during a combat. So you can, so you can reroll the die three times for every combat that you're in with Lee. And that's for either some, your die or your opponent's die. Right. Right. And so, but for somebody like, like Bragg, for instance, who is in command of the Army of the West, he gives the enemy a reroll. <laughs> so, so your opponent gets the reroll once if you have Bragg in command. Or somebody like Benjamin Butler, I think he gives like, like two rerolls or three, maybe even three. Jeez. So, so what so, was your feel overall for how the game plays? Like how, like as far as what was your strategy and, and how do you feel like it did as opposed to how the game started to, to get it, gain its own momentum? Uh, well, so my strategy for the South was, and I played the South because it's for my first kind of opposed game of it. It's it's easier to play the South because if you if you play the Union and you don't know what you're doing, you can kind of wreck the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just easier for me to play the South, and I didn't. And I, we had just been playing Labatt where I was playing the French, and I was like, I don't want a lot of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Uh, so, so kind of defender. That's what I do. Yeah, so just give me something where you have to make all the tough decisions and I can just sit back and react to stuff. Um, so for the South, I kind of wanted to do a, I guess you'd call it a Fabian strategy where you're trying to buy for time. Try to retreat as slowly as possible. Uh, because in, in, in the game, there's, I think, 20 turns in the game. And on turn 17 is the election. So if right. you can if you can prevent Lincoln from getting reelected, I think the South wins. Right, 1864, right. Yeah. If you, if he gets reelected, you can still win if you deny the Union enough points. I mean, basically, it's like the scale of the Union victory. Can you, if the, if the South can hold out for long enough, they can essentially win. So that's what I was trying to do was just to try and, to try and harry and delay and give up, um, as little ground as possible, which I found is, is pretty hard to do. As the South, I, I tried to hold on to, I, I gave up Kentucky completely at the beginning of the game. Okay. To focus, to focus on trying to hold Tennessee. 
because Kentucky kind of starts neutral, right? And yeah. whoever owns all of its VP cities at the end can, at the end of a turn, it, it turns over to them. Right. There's some rule like that. I'm remembering from when I was like fucking 16 years old. That's how long, that's what an impression though this game made on me as a young kid. Like I can kind of remember these rules. It's ridiculous. And you know, that's true though, because Kentucky is neutral. So like if you're playing, if you're going to go after Kentucky, then you want to try and do it like all in one turn to, to get all the points that you need in one turn. Right. And I think I, I had moved up to put, I was able to get Paducah from him, but he got all the other points. But I re- heavily reinforced there. There's a fort there in Tennessee, which is supposed to represent uh, Henry and Donaldson, mm-hmm. which Grant takes real early in the war. And so, but I, so by taking Paducah though, I kind of messed up his strategy to take that early, and so that bought me time. And I reinforced Memphis. And I thought, well, I'll put a fortress in Memphis and and hold there. But then he created, so he had two armies. He and you, you're limited in the number of armies you can create. And I think the Union has five and the South has four armies. Because you, you basically, uh, Jason and another guys who haven't played, you have, you have army markers. And armies, once you create an army, you have a, the army has certain special abilities to react into an adjacent hex. Yeah. yeah. So okay. where, you, where you might have some strength points. The game is essentially a strength point with leader game. So you might have three strength points with a leader. But once you, I think you have to get to what, six strength points to form an army? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so, so then you have an army counter, which has to have a three-star commander, but the advantage is they get a reaction where now he can he has this kind of a zone of control that he can move into. So you want to make armies. Armies are and plus your opponent doesn't really know how strong the army is. Right. Right, because it's it's off map SPs or track. Well, actually he can look I mean he can look over it. It's on the map, it's maybe it's on right. the map. Right. there's that huge it's got a huge tracking grid, and I'll talk about that too. Um when I kind of sum up, Kyle, I don't um, mean to interrupt you, but I love the game, so we're gonna. This is gonna be no. It, it's good. Any anything that 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 I'm talking that, that I mentioned that doesn't that seems obvious to me, but clearly wouldn't be obvious to anyone who's, who hasn't played the game. Yeah, feel free to jump in. So so by building an army, it creates an extra component where you can now react a move where a stack with a leader couldn't do that without the army counter being there. I think. Yeah. And that's and that's what you want because then you can place your armies in certain ways that they're hard to get around uh, or hard to move around without potentially causing a conflict. So, but so I ended up holding him longer than he expected at this essentially Fort Henry and Donaldson. It's like this fort in the middle of Tennessee between these two rivers. Um, but once he then took that, then he could move on Memphis. But I thought I had defended Memphis well enough. But the problem is, is that he has that extra army. And so he was able to create an army and invade and take New Orleans. And then he moved this other army up from the south to threaten these rail networks that supply Memphis and Alabama. And uh, at that point, like like once he threatened those rail lines, I realized I can't leave my armies to defend Memphis because they could be put out of supply. So so it, it's just funny in that game how it, 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 like I felt like I was holding and then suddenly it unraveled very quickly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, did you build forts and stuff down by New Orleans to try to protect it? No, I kind of conceded New Orleans early because I thought, hey, it happened historically in the South, still did pretty well. Because <laughs> we, we would do an early play where we tried to t- turn New Orleans into a fortress as soon as possible. Uh-huh. Well, and, and that's the other thing, too, is that the South only has a certain number of fortresses they can right. build. They can, they can build a lot of forts, but but only just a, like, a, like, I think it's like, Four, three or four fortresses total. Yeah, you have to pick and choose. Yeah. 
Richmond is always going to be a fortress. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, there's some that start on the map and then, and then you can build a few more. And, no, I, and I, I, got, I built, I built I, one I, in Memphis and that didn't, uh, <laughs> that didn't pan out. So. No, what I mean is I don't think Richmond starts as a fortress, but I think as a, as the Confederate player, it's, it's one that you want to always try to build a fortress there. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't, now I don't remember if I built it. I think you're right. I think I had to build it there and I did that pretty early in the game. And you want to, you want to build as many forts as you can early as the South, because if you wait too long, then the blockade, uh, will make it more expensive. So by the end of the game, I think forts, forts cost me four. And I was, I was out of fortresses by that point, but forts and depots were up to like three or four command points to build. And, and if I remember correctly, too, the other thing, it's funny, we were young kids, but uh, the, the big advantage the Union has, I believe, is uh, being able to move along ro- rivers and supply along rivers. Yeah. But if you can put forts, you can cut off those areas for them. So they're, they're once you put a fort on a river, um, basically the cargo ships, the transport ships, can't get past it anymore because it'll be shelled. So, right. So the rivers are the Union's friend, and the more forts you can put up as a Confederate, you start to understand why they built all these stupid forts all over the place. Because mm-hmm. they were trying to control the Union's naval movement by putting some batteries on the side of the river. Yeah, and that can control, too, how the, how far the Union, and effectively the Union, can move into the southern interior. Especially in the west. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... So I tried to this this strategy of delay, but like I said, it unraveled really fast in the, in Alabama and Mississippi, and suddenly you know my armies were just backpedaling across the across the Gulf states and then into the deep south. Um, and so it, by the time we reached 1864, uh, I think he was you know, in terms of territory and stuff, he was kind of at historically where the Union was, but he had enough points to get reelected. And then Georgia fell really fast because at that point my armies weren't able to replenish. And he was moving, uh, Grant with his two armies, um, just that are, that are constantly being re- resupplied and reinforced with, with troops. Whereas, you know, my armies are getting smaller and smaller and his are staying the same size and just, you can't respond anymore. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he had racked up enough points to get a decisive victory. So at that point, he had Lyon, Grant, Sherman. Yeah. They were all army commanders. Right. And, and Sherman was out west. Sherman had actually, he'd actually had to move Sherman over to help Don Carlos Buell take, uh, take Fayetteville to take, take Arkansas from. Really? Because yeah. I kind of made Fayetteville into this fortress that he couldn't get with a, he needed a better commander than what he had. That's interesting. But he had Grant over in the east along with Lyon. And, uh, the funny thing was, is on the last turn of the game, I ended up, Grant ended up getting wounded. And so his, his two army hammer blow fell apart because without Grant there, you can't do the, the double army move and so the funny yeah. and then he had to bring mcclellan in as commander of the uh, <laughs> of the army of uh of the cumberland and so, so that just kind of messed up his whole plan but by that point he had i think he had enough points to to call it so when you're talking about a double move you're talking about what dming him with one attack and then attacking him with another army yeah yeah and that's that's like the 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 if you can wield that strategy that's the perfect strategy to do because it just totally a DM'd army can't use any of its tact, any of its commander's tactical values, which right. is the South, the South's major strength is that all of the, when you have your army commander, he has all these other commanders he could have with him and you can add their tactical rating to your die roll in combat. So the CRT, for the, right. yeah, for the South, usually I'd be at a plus six and he'd be at like a minus one or something. 
you know, or, or a zero or maybe a plus one. And so, yeah, so right. So in a typical battle, you get the army of Northern Virginia fighting against the army of Potomac. He, he's doing like a one on you and you're doing like a three D on him. Yeah. Right. And so you're DMing him every time. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he'd do one damage with, with no demoralization. And then I would do three and demoralize him. And so if you can, if you can then, win the next initiative on the following turn before he can pay the points to, to uh, remove the demoralization from his army, you can try and hit him again while he's demoralized. Yeah, so the three DM versus one is like Fredericksburg, and then that gives you yeah. the chance to then turn it around the next turn and pound him before he can rally his guys. And yeah. That's good. It's a great game. Wonderful. And it's a, again, it's another Victory Games game. It's mm-hmm. uh, uh, They created another game that will it's it's a foundation game, I think, for us. And and I wanted I did want to talk about the, the so that there's this whole like half of one of the maps in the game is just this tracking information grid, which has like your turn track on it, it's got your command point grids, it's got your army strength point grids, it's got your turn track which shows your rail supply, your uh, reinforcement arrival. Your generals, when they, when you're, you get new generals at certain points <clears throat> during the war, shows your naval strength points and all that stuff. It's like just the, the most, I have yet to see a, an integrated, um, management system in a game that's as good as that one. Uh, right. or at least that's as like part of the map. And in recent years, you know, publishers just don't put as much stuff on the map anymore as they used to in terms of charts and things like that. Well, Kyle, how did uh, how did your opponent do as far as the naval blockade, like taking ports? There's an aspect of the game for the Union where they're trying to, uh, like, as as they're fighting the armies, they're also trying to capture ports and and shut down, basically like blockading you. Um, he, I think, he, uh, like earlier in the game, he didn't do as much. Um, he took New Orleans fairly early. And I think he took Florida. Like those were his sort of initial naval operations that he did. He didn't do too many more until later, um, when he was trying to wrap up state control. So like what about Mobile or some of those yeah. other areas? So like once he was moving his armies into Alabama, then he started activating the naval, to, you know, to take Mobile and stuff to to try and do a quick takeover of a state. Mm-hmm. So if you can have your armies grab two cities in a state. <clears throat> and then you can go after the port cities, which are a lot farther away usually, so it's easier to take. Because there is a whole aspect of the game where you're trying to kind of strangle the Confederate economy by taking away ports and you know, there's ironclad markers. Did you guys play with all the ironclads and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> yeah, and so, yeah, he, and he did pretty well because the blockade, I was at, at um, by the end, like I said, I was having to pay, I was at level, there's different levels to the to the to the blockade. I think I was at level three or something for the, for the South where I, my supply now from the depot, like you have a supply range for your depots is usually four minus down to three. Yeah. Uh, you know, forts and stuff cost extra points. Naval forces cost extra points. So it definitely had an effect by the end of the game. And then what happened out in the West? You just burned a bunch of forts. Yeah. He did end up taking control of New Mexico. Uh, because I moved up and try, and I was like, we each have a strength point. Let's just fight and see what happens. <laughs> and and stand, I ended up. You get the stand weighty counter. Is that the? Yeah. 
and, and that was like I had him. He, he's in, he was in command of two civilized Indian encounters, um, and if they're under command of Stan Wadey, you can move them up into Missouri. And so I had Stan Wadey running around in Missouri, just like like taking Jefferson City and and uh, Kansas City. He was just running around rampant up in Missouri, you know, to no effect ultimately on the game. Yeah, and, and they're Cherokee, uh, who I think were. I think they were slave owners. I think the Cherokee actually owned slaves, having read some Faulkner and some other guys. Hmm. So they actually fought on the Confederate side. They were, the, the Cherokee kind of were pro-Confederate. So there you go. It was a complicated time. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so overall, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we got to play through a full, you know, full game of it. And it didn't take that long. It's not a very, your, your turns can go long because you can roll, um, when you're rolling for command point or when you're rolling for initiative, if you, if you each roll like a seven or if you, if you each roll the same number, it either ends the turn or it adds command points depending on, on uh, this little sliding scale that you keep track of. And so, you know, some, some turns we had like one, we had one round of, of where we'd go through all our command points and the turn at end, or we'd some, some turns we'd barely get through any points and roll doubles and it'd be over. So it's it's just a, the the impulse system and the the turn control system is really interesting in that game. Right, and again, right. I haven't seen on, quite the same way utilized in any other game that I've played, really. Because on some turns you're going to get tons of CPs, and on yeah. other turns you don't get any, and then right. it's, then it's over, then you're yeah. done, and you move the yeah, that's cool. Great game, wonderful game. But they're and they're remaking it, right? Or is it is it inspired by? Yeah, that's I, the take I've had is it's inspired by, right? That's that's what I that's what I took from it too. I think that's what Simonich said uh, in uh, like a post on Constant World or something like that, where he said, "No, it's, it's not technically a remake." But I think Eric Lee Smith, who designed the Victory Games one, had talked to Simonich and said, "You should you should revisit the design and see if you know see what you can do with it." So I think he has Eric Lee Smith's blessing on it. Um, and I think he's he's doing he's bringing stuff in for for the people too, or from for the people, which is the uh, the GMT uh, CDG version of. So what what does that mean? There's going to be cards. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there may be cards in the game, but not used the same way. It's like many of the victory games, like sixty five to seventy five. I think if somebody would just get it, buy it, redo it, and print it, it would be a sellout. Yeah. So it's like. This is another one. I mean, the, yeah, the graphics look a little dated maybe with some of the stuff, but it's a great game. The Civil yeah. War is a magnificent effort. Really great. And the, um, the like, redoing the, the, the biggest thing to change or to fix, I think, in the Civil War is that the whole Springfield Poker Club thing where you can just take the shitty union leaders and set them out of the war. Like, that's not really how, <laughs> not really how things happen. You know, you didn't have that kind of prescience to, to avoid the bad commanders. And so. Or maybe it costs CPs or it would cost you. Yeah, make it somehow more difficult to, to keep those guys out of the war. And so I'd be curious, I'll be curious to see how, how Simonich handles that. Yeah, because that was always the gamey aspect. Like, you're trying to manipulate yep. your leaders. So. Yeah. Well, great. So, uh, cool. based on the game, how many beers? Uh, out of a scale of an infinite number, of <laughs> <laughs> a liquor store's worth of beers. Uh, I would give it ten beers. It's whatever. Wow. What, it's it's a high scale. It is a. Kyle, I mean, Kyle, are you allowed to? Are you allowed to drink at your game club? Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
Wow. Cool. Yeah, we got it. There's a kitchen there and everything, so you can just bring your six pack in and store it. So it's God, pretty man. easy to play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the game. The game is is. Uh, Jason, I played it when I was 16. Wow. Can't be that hard. That's true. I mean, I mean, and and it's it's a fairly. I mean, it's like 20 20 odd pages of rules, but. And, and it's definitely uh, there's a learning curve in just understanding you know your all the information that you have to keep track of and that you're looking at. But otherwise, yeah, turn, once turn, you get the rolls going, and everything it's it's pretty intuitive sure. once you get going. And you have to keep track of like how much rail movement you have. There is stuff like that that, that comes yeah. in. I think where you're gonna. But I mean, the, I guess the testament to it is uh, I I played it when I was 16. I'm now much older than that. I have destroyed many brain cells between 16 and now, <laughs> and yet I still seem to really remember the rules. <laughs> so It's impressive. Yeah. That's, that's a classic. Uh, there's no other way to describe it, I think. No, it, it is a classic. Right. Like many victory games, it's a classic. Yeah. Jason, do you have a review you like to do? Oh, and how about fun? Obviously, you really enjoyed it, so... One to ten oh, yeah. for fun. Yeah, and, if, and, I, and I put a uh, on the on the Advanced Sector Combat game log, I did a, 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 a DAR of it. Um, so if, if people are interested in, in all the turn twists and turns of the campaign, it's on the Advanced After Combat game log. That's sweet. Yeah, and I guess For the People is really the only other game that I know about that really does kind of the same scale for the period. So, Yeah, there is Lincoln's War, which is the MMP uh, uh, game that came out, which is a, a strategic CDG of the Civil War. Oh, really? But incorporates some political elements into the card play. But yeah, that'll be a separate review. <laughs> yeah, I tried for the people. I thought it was okay. I liked it okay. But I, I, I don't think I ever finished it. The Civil War, man, that's one I just put a lot of time into. So. That's pretty good. All right, so Jason, you got a game you like to review? Sure. Uh, we'll do Silver Bayonet. Um, there's a bit of a kerfuffle this this month with our recording schedule. So I wasn't actually going to do this one, uh, but with Mitch and I being able to play last night, I, I figured I got enough plays in to actually give it a fair shake. Uh, so this is uh, the first team in Vietnam, first Cav, uh, 1965. Uh, it's one of the first three G- GMT games that they put out. So I think it's from 90 or 91. So it's, it's I mean, obviously not as old as the Civil War game, but a fairly old GMT game. Uh, so I've played it three times. I played two of the scenarios solo uh, and then one opposed. There's a, a basic game where you play with all exposed units and then the advanced game, which is a lot more engaging. The NVA uses hidden counters um, on the map and then all of their units are actually off on a little chart off to the side. So it makes it a little bit more tense, I think, for both sides, not knowing you know where those NVA units are and where the strength is coming to bear. Um, it's a fairly typical uh, sequence of play, you know, movement and combat, um, but kind of intricate, kind of detailed steps within there. Uh, the U.S. usually goes first, and then the NVA kind of tries to sw- slip away and, and react to that. <clears throat> so it's basically the U.S. is going to get to observe, try to find the NVA, expose them, move, and engage with them, uh, and then there's there's combat. One thing, one of the things that I really like about the game is there's two types of combat. There's maneuver combat, which is the typical, um, you know, adjacent hexes rolling on a CRT combat, and then there's assault combat, 
which is um, a lot more attritional. The maneuver, maneuver combat is more kind of disrupting and fatiguing units and making them a retreat. The assaults are where you're going to do most of your, your hardcore damage. Uh, and I really, I really like that. Um, another thing with the attacks is all the attacks have to be declared up front, which um, because of the way the maneuver combat works is very important and it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so you declare all of your maneuver combats and all of your assault combats. You'll bombard. You know, the U.S. can really bring a lot to bear in bombardment. They can react with helicopters or use their air points. That is just basically off-map artillery that, that just comes in as, as straight artillery points. So they get to bombard the units, um, and then they do maneuver combat. Maneuver combat's a lot of times going to force a, re a retreat um, instead of taking actual step losses. So the the attack uh, statement up front makes it so that you can't then assault um, units that weren't there before. And then you assault, you basically bring the units that are assaulting into the hex. They, you know, the defender rolls, the attacker rolls, and then things kind of shake out. Uh, one of the kind of strange things to get used to is there's no real zones of controls in most spaces on the map because it's all jungle. Um, so you, you can kind of move wherever you want. You're not, you're not hemmed in by zones of control. They're, you're not stuck in zones of control. So that's especially important for the NBA because they can really slip out and, and uh, kind of get out of, get out of places. Another important thing with, with the attacks is um, reaction. The NBA can actually, um, what do they call it? They can refuse combat. So they roll on a table and potentially just, slip away which is important for them as well um and, and kind of what's the scale of the scenarios like what are we so talking it's, co about it's companies okay oh for the scenario the, like the, what the, like what type of fights are you does it, it comes with a bunch of scenarios yeah so there's um well, i guess i shouldn't speculate i can just look it up uh there's 11 scenarios but the 11th scenario is the campaign so there's really 10 scenarios um, and they range anywhere from, you know, two turns with like six to eight counters for each side, um, to the campaign where basically all of, all of the units can potentially end up on the map. So a, a counter sheet's worth of movement or units. Um, the ones I've played, I played one of the middling basic scenarios, um, the, uh, x-ray scenario. It's not that exciting um, because there's so few units um, and it's it, it's the uh, the VC actually so it's not the anyway it the, the, there's VC in the game but they're not very effective uh, and they're only used in a couple of the scenarios and this is first cav or first cav yeah okay yeah. what so what era is that from the war is it six different eras okay. it, yeah come on Kyle it's sixty five we all know this it's <laughs> cav in Vietnam. <laughs> it was it was a long war, man. I don't know. Yeah, you was... we were soldiers. You haven't seen we were soldiers <laughs> right up front. Yeah, that's... I actually have, and remember almost nothing about it. That's kind of sad. Read the book. The book's, yeah, the book's better. much better. That's funny. We were talking about it last night. It was as we were playing. Uh, and then, so what Mitch and I played was the assault on Chu Chupong. It's down in the kind of south portion of the map, around the the uh, the mountain there. And this kind of leads to to some of my quibbles about the game. Uh, the victory conditions for the NVA don't make a lot of sense, especially in this scenario. Um, I think in the campaign game they make a little bit more sense, but 
it has the NVA trying to secure terrain, and that's not really something that they were interested in. Right. Um, you know, both sides get get victory points. Uh, there's no victory point track or victory point, you know, means of tracking victory points, which kind of bothers me. Um, but the the U.S. gets points just for occupying spaces on the mountain, and there's quite a few of those spaces. So it's not really possible for the NBA to stop that, and they they weren't interested in in digging in and, and holding ground there anyway. So I don't know why they you know why the U.S. would get victory points for that. It should just be I would just you know maybe one or two strategic hexes and then kills or or step losses. Um, is is it fun to play the NBA in this game? I I had I had fun with it. Okay, because sometimes you're like a, just a moving target. Yeah, and, and and there is a lot of that, but you're trying to do it strategically, and the hidden counters help that a lot. You can be really sneaky. You know, if you can get a unit away, because they can't conceal or reconceal if they're adjacent, so you try to get them away from the U.S. and then reconceal them in a in a spot where they can move to other hidden markers and just kind of you know slip away into the jungle. That aspect of it's really really engaging for me because because 65 to 75 always had that fun aspect where the u.s player was afraid where mm -hmm. i land on a unit and it's a regiment right now now i'm like late in my turn i've already burned a lot of my resources my air support and now i'm tangling with a regiment as the vc player you're like i got you motherfucker right. now, now i'm gonna make you pay and it's <laughs> And it's not as painful for the U.S. players. My my big problem with this is I the U.S. is very powerful, um, and and they were, but they don't have to worry about stuff like that. They can observe that unit, and then decide what to do about it um, a little bit more easily. They're not going to engage as much as they would do in sixty-five to seventy-five. So the U.S. does doesn't have to be quite as careful about things like that. So, so they know. I don't understand. They know what their opponents. Layout so, looks so like they can do. They can. You can see units on the map. Okay. You don't know what's actually there, mm -hmm. um, but you do an observation mission, kind of like a search and or a you know a patrol basically, right. um, to to expose them. And it's I don't know if it's relatively easy. It doesn't seem like it is according to the the chart that you roll on, but it happened just about every fucking time he he did it. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, we were three turns in and I didn't have any hidden units on the map because he got to expose them all. So there's not as much mystery as to what the NBA has. The, the U.S. can find it and then bring, you know, a shit ton of firepower to bear. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, what else about it? So the rules are a little bit of an issue. They're, they're a little vague in spots. Not everything is clearly defined. One of the things is, so when you're doing that patrol mission, for the observation via helicopter mission, it says that if a headquarters is is with another unit, it doesn't have to be exposed if the rest of the units are concealed. Um, but the rest of the units are concealed, right? And the U.S. gets that marker. So there's no way to keep it concealed because there's no hidden marker marker actually down on the, on the map. Um, and the U.S. player gets that marker. But, you know, even if it did get to stay... You say, well, you know, that marker gets to stay. Well, then it's obvious that there's an HQ there. So stuff like that's kind of kind of strange. Oh, I see. You have to ID the headquarters to get that special ability. Is that is that the issue? Well, so here here's how it would go down. So the the U.S. flies an observation mission. I have a stack of two hidden markers, right? 
He's successful. And, and in this situation, you're the NVA. I'm the NVA. Okay. The U.S. comes, and I have I have two hidden markers there. He's successful on his observation mission. So I, you know, this marker had this, this marker had this, but this marker gets to stay. But I, you don't know why it gets to stay. Well, it's obvious then that there's an HQ. Oh, that's not so. that's not what happens. The eight, the the U.S. player actually gets those markers, so that I can't use them anymore. Mm-hmm. So then, how do you track where that HQ is? You know, st- just weird stuff like that isn't accounted for in the rules. Um, there's a couple. You know, Mitch was taking notes as we were playing because he's. I mean, the game's been around for a long time. Yeah, ninety, ninety-one, something like that. Like early GMT, wasn't it? From yeah, the it was one, one of the very first games. Um, and the, the the counters for the U.S. are companies. Yeah, they're companies. Mm. Yep. Uh, what else? It, it, so. <laughs> It's a game that I would play, and I, I enjoyed it enough playing it. I'm glad I own it. But it's not one to go out and, and search out. You know, there's there's definitely better Vietnam games, obviously, 65 to 75, and it's kind of unfair to compare anything to that. Right. But even, I would say, Hearts and Minds yeah. or Fire in the Lake, I think is a little bit more interesting as a game, more interesting as, as a military or you know, political simulation of what's going on than this. There's nothing here that's really, like... It just grabs me as much as I like simple games, and this is fairly simple. Um, it's just it there's it's missing something for me that 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 I don't know, and maybe that's in the campaign game, you, you know, where you're on a much bigger scale. The the few campaign or the few scenarios I've played were on you know a ten by ten or a twenty by twenty hex grid, mm-hmm. as opposed to the entire map. So, so maybe something like that. How, how did the component? How did the components look? Oh, they're they're shitty, really bad. Okay. Yeah, but you know it's it's Cause, early cause and I, six, that doesn't six, bother. But sixty five to seventy five is nice. I think the components are good. In regard to the quality of the counters or the art it's, or what? Uh, the art, it looks good. I think the map looks nice. I think the yeah. Works. yeah. So the 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 counters are about the same. Um, you know, just NATO symbols and uh, strength, defense, movement. You know, typical. I mean, what do you want? You want a guy skulking through the jungle? Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. There's nothing. It's not. They're not super thick. They're not. The counters are are fully functional. It's like a like an MMP counter, but you know, just just fine. The map is terrible. It's ugly. What? The there's like 13 clear hexes that are supposed to be on the map that didn't actually get printed on the map. So oh. almost the whole map is jungle, and they say, oh, by the way, these these hexes are are supposed to be clear. So yeah. now are the scenarios set up are the scenarios set up in a geographical area or is it like map sheets where you're like playing the scenario you pull up a couple map sheets and put them together? No, it's it's one big 24 by 36 map and then okay. it's just, you know, playable area is this hex to this hex. That's it. Okay. Kind of like they do in ASL, you know, and you just put the counters down or whatever to mark on your I'm sorry Kyle, did you have you have a question? Oh no. Well, I was just pointing out that usually for games for older games like that the biggest issue I usually run into is bad die cutting on the counters. Yeah, I mean it's not terrible. They're just they're just not great components. They're they're serviceable and just just fine, but it's nothing to write home about for sure. So the U.S. counter mix is the first cab division. Yep. So um, you know you have your your seventh and your ninth and you know all those guys in there. The 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 way the helicopters work, you have observation helicopters. You have gunships and transport helicopters uh that's all really cool um Mm -hmm. the bombardment the two different types of combat are really really cool they make a lot of sense there's very definite 
times to do the different ones. Um, so there's definitely, you know, shining points to it, but it's not, it's not a must own. So if you had to sum up your issues with it, what would they be? Hmm. Uh, the rules issues, um, that would clear up a lot of it for me. But even then, it's not, it's still not going to be a must own. It's just, there's something missing from it that, that really kind of pulls you in. Like the, from a gameplay aspect? From, yeah, from a, from a gameplay narrative. And, and that, that, is this you playing as the U.S. or are you playing as the, like, which part are you missing? The, you know, the, the Vietnam game, I think, captures the, I'm pushing my luck. I'm trying to find Charlie. I'm trying to lock him down and I don't want to get trapped, but he's trying to catch me. And the NVA side is I'm trying to set a trap for the U.S., but I'm trying to avoid, like, which part of it do you think is missing as far as a Vietnam game? So that doesn't, that doesn't feel like it's there. The U.S. feels a little bit too powerful. Um, the NVA is constantly on the run, at least in the scenario, scenarios I've played. They don't seem like they, they can bring enough firepower to bear to actually do much damage. Um, you would have to get really lucky on a lot of dice rolls to get, to get really good hits on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when he brings helicopters in, if I have enough steps in the hex or an adjacent hex, I can do, uh, um, um, ADF. Um, or, you know, anti-aircraft, basically. Right. So Against the helicopters. Against right. the helicopters. Um, I have to roll a one or a two on a ten-sided die. So those odds aren't aren't great. No, you know, 20%, not... but I rolled, I, I, I think I rolled it three times during the entire game. But then you have to make another successful roll, and you need, you know, a one to three to do anything. So there's there's a lot a lot of opportunities to affect him. But, but it never ends up actually happening. Yeah, because the real key to a good Vietnam game is the U.S. player has to have that doubt in the back that of fear, his mind. Yeah. Of, like, yeah. do I do this? Or, like, am I pushing it too much? Or am I, like, the... Because, let's be honest, the NBA won. Right. And so that, 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 that's part of my issue. And, yeah, their, their unit shouldn't be terribly strong, but they should be a little bit more effective, uh, Right, and the and damage be able to set up those traps. Significant. Right, the damage they do to the U.S. forces counts more because those are it U.S. forces yeah. who are dying, and that's going to be a, a problem. Yeah. So, like in the, in the scenario we played, the victory points were uh, both sides got a victory point for each step loss inflicted, and then the NBA got two step lo- or two points for each step to a helicopter, which sounds really good and that makes sense, but it's almost. I wouldn't say almost impossible, but it's very difficult to, to inflict a step loss on, on a helicopter. So, you know, that's not there. You get four points for being in, in you know, these two hexes on the map, which that's fine. The NBA can dig in and try to keep those. But then the U.S. gets a point just for being on the mountain. So they have, you know, 12 guys on the map. Well, there's there's 12 points right there by the, by the end of turn six. Right. And like you said, I mean, as far as the NVA controlling like terrain objectives, unless there's like a supply depot or some kind of major tunnel base mm-hmm. that they're trying to protect, who cares? You right. know, they fade away. They don't and care about that mountain. They're just they move across the border yeah. and they don't care. I yeah. mean, especially 65, you know, they're looking to slip away. Yeah, they're in for the long game and, and the scenarios don't really reward that so much. Kyle, have you played Vietnam 65 to 75? I have not. Oh, see, that's, I mean, that's kind of like one of our holy grail games. (laughs) There's a copy sitting on the shelf at the club that we've, that we've pulled out and looked at before and have not, have not gotten around to it. 
Yeah, I gave this guy I met. Uh, <laughs> this handsome guy you met. This, uh, <laughs> my, my copy of the game. <laughs> and he's very appreciative of it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so uh, Ralph's coming to Constant World, and we might actually get that set up. And yeah, if you're... Play, gonna, like Masher White Wing or something. If you're going to be there, yeah, to be there. So Well, I'm trying. We're getting back to earlier. I'll... Come on, honey. Bad yeah. grades. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can, you know, just get it's on your phone tonight. You know, it's all about the base. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, cool. Sounds, uh, so, it's like it was kind of. It's kind of. I've, I've, I've seen Silver Bayonet. Uh, this is first team in Vietnam. Yep. Silver Bayonet. I've seen it. Iconic cover. Everyone yep. knows it. Uh, they use it again for Fire in the Lake. It's just. There's other games that do it better. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I, I bought it for five bucks at Consum World last year. So oh my lord, yeah. Kyle, what are you doing? Why aren't you at Consum World? <laughs> five dollars, five bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just the yeah the twenty five hundred dollars of airfare yeah, and a week of long hotel rooms. Yeah. That... yeah, that's true. But if you don't bring the gimp with you, then you don't have to worry about it. Then it's like... <laughs> well, <laughs> then what fun would it be? Yeah, I was like, that's that vacation. I'll get some loyalty to him, but he has to find his own interests. Uh, So I'll give this one a 6 out of 10 for fun. Um, Yeah, I've seen it around. I'm not surprised because I just feel like I've seen it and I've never heard many strong recommendations for it. uh, Mitch and Ralph both said that they, they enjoyed it. Um, but but again, there's just so many better games to play. To, to me, that's it, what it is. It seems like it's a little bit of a U.S. muscle flex. Yep. You know what I mean? Like and, uh, I'm not really interested in that kind of. And thing. we've seen that in modern games sometimes, where mm-hmm. the U.S. Army is bitching. Here we go, and you're like, well, God, I guess why, why did the Warsaw Pact even dictate a chance? <laughs> because apparently the U.S. Army was. I mean, <laughs> there's but the, there's games that neglect. You know, it, and it's a muscle flex for one side. And it's the U.S. getting to show how awesome they are with their air capabilities and yeah. all that stuff. But and I, and I think I think the units were all strength appro- appropriately. The victory points and conditions just didn't make make sense to me. Oh, that's kind of cool. The board. And so I'll give it a six and then ten for beers. It's you know, wow. as as intricate as as some of the small details are. Um, most of it is just you know, make a decision and move on. It's not it's not a tough one to get through for sure. Nice. That's yep. good. Just follow the sequence of play, and it's it's pretty good. All right. Yeah. Worth worth checking out, but but not a must own. Okay, so I've got a game I'm going to review. It's called Next War Taiwan. Sweet. Now, some of us have been waiting for this game. I'm waiting to hear about it. Have you not gotten this game yet, Jason? Oh, I have it. I'm. You have it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail with it because I, I'm on the fifth beer of my six-pack. But I will say uh, I, I've reviewed Next War Korea previously. So this is the like kind of a companion game or it can be a standalone game based on Taiwan. Uh, Next War Taiwan is basically has the, the standard and advanced rules that were included with Next War Korea, though there have been some adjustments. And then it has game-specific rules for next war Taiwan. So the one downside of that process, and I understand why Mitch does it because, you know, obviously he wants to have a standard set of rules and then it's going to be updated for each module that comes out. But for my play it and just fucking look at the rules later type thing approach doesn't yeah. work as well for yeah. this because 
you really need to refer back to the game-specific rules a lot of times because there's a lot of issues as far as who has what or can these guys launch cruise missiles or can these guys do that. or So it, it, it's, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. So there's a basic game, which I think is called the standard game, and then there's the advanced game that you can play. The advanced game uh, delves much more into... Let me pull out my thing. Have you played both, or are you just going straight for advanced? I don't do the standard yeah. games. Standard games for pussies. Uh, so I'll, later I'll review the standard game, because I'm, <laughs> I'm a pussy. <laughs> Basically, there's a, there's a great air war system that's attached to the advanced game, and in the in the standard game it uses, like, air points. Oh, okay. Which is lame. Yeah. So... The, the whole point of it is you get to fight with guys, uh, fighters that have standoff missiles and, and uh, long-range weapons and pilot ratings. And basically, if you play the standard game, you lose all the air units. Okay. All these great air units that are in there uh, aren't involved anymore in the game. And so, and so you don't worry about air superiority as much. So I, I guess the best way for me to talk about it is I'm going to talk about real quick the standard game and the advanced game, what the advanced game adds. I'm going to run through the play sequence. I'm going to talk about some of the optional rules, and then that's it. If you want to buy it, buy it. It's a great game. I've just, enjoyed it. I'll talk it. about the play. So, so basically, the standard game has uh, you, you. You're worried about weather, initiative, air power. There's sea control. Now, in this game, because China is actually invading Taiwan, there's a spe- separate sea display that's set up, and you have a lot of options. You know. I don't know if you guys have heard about these islands that China's fighting about with, with the Philippines and there, you have, and there's some islands that China wants that Japan has. You have options as to which areas you want to exert your power in. So there is kind of like a campaign game that's set up around the invasion of Taiwan that you can use if you want. When I played, I was pretty much just trying to invade Taiwan. So I kind of just went straight at Taiwan. I didn't worry about all the other, uh, political areas. So. Um, the, the big changes when you go to the advanced game is now you're worrying about you have headquarters units, you have advanced naval rules, you have special operations forces that can target uh, airfields or do interdiction missions or do raids on air bases for you. The air game becomes much more robust where now instead of just worrying about how many air points you're assigned and you're rolling on like, I think it's a table to decide how many air points you get, now you're like... Each time air superiority comes up, you're going to send out your fighters to fight with your opponent for air superiority. And then based on how well you do, it it determines what level of air supremacy you get for that turn. Uh, Then you have air strikes you can launch on on ground targets. Uh, You have cruise missiles you can launch. Uh, Each of the air defenses for the different nations is tracked. Uh, The UN can get involved. The UN can try to do a UN resolution again. Let's be honest. The UN, <laughs> the UN would be playing the standard game. Hmm. Oh, I, don't need to, <laughs> right, I don't need to say it again, do I, folks? <laughs> so, so basically, the whole point is that China wants to invade Taiwan. So you've got Chinese forces that are going to attack the island. You can combine it with North Korea if you want to do the... Uh, you can actually link the two games together, Next War Korea and Next War Taiwan, Um if you want to, I just played the next war Taiwan battle out, but you have Chinese airborne forces, you have Chinese Marine forces. So the whole goal is to try to achieve beachheads, secure areas where you can start bringing forces in. Now you never know. Uh, so you have Taiwan's defense forces and they have reserves that are going to come out. 
But Taiwan also has allies, right? So Taiwan has uh, the U.S. and Japan. You don't really know how those those nations are going to really respond to an invasion of Taiwan, but you can roll it up on the, on the, there's kind of like a diplomatic chart. I don't, I'm sure Mitch calls it something else, but there's there's a chart that you roll up to figure out, hey, is Japan really aggressive in this game, or are the U.S. really aggressive? And you don't really know until you actually roll the dice and see. And there's separate roles for the people, the government, and the military. And based That's on cool. how yeah, based on how well you do with that role, it, it, maybe they'll just offer supplies or special operations forces or air units or, hey, here come the Marines. The Marines are landing on Taiwan. Sure. So every game is different. But it's the same way Next War Korea was. Next War Korea had the same system set up. There's a bunch of different scenarios uh, that are involved. And it follows, uh, some of them follow the same patterns as Next War Korea, where one is where we weren't expecting the Chinese to come mm. at all. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese basically fucking just out of nowhere land. And then there's like, we're more prepared, and then we were really prepared. And maybe the really prepared is there's U.S. Marines already on the Station, island. You know, yeah. that kind of deal. And, and the combat basically follows along the same lines. You have combat strengths, uh, offense and defense, and then also your efficiency rating rates how good the troops are. So units that are uh, highly rated for efficiency get a die roll modifier in combat. So like U.S. Marines are very high, uh, while Taiwanese reserves are going to be lower. Another cool aspect that, that basically in my game that I played, I had the uh, the Chinese Marines land on the, geez, what is it? It's the top side, which I think is the western side of the island. They landed. They tried to set some stuff up. They set up the little beachhead. They started moving out. Then the airborne troops landed on the eastern side of the island because my idea was I knew the eastern ports would, might be used as supply for the allies. They might later on start trying to land land stuff on the island. So I wanted to see if maybe the airborne guys couldn't take out some of those ports. Uh, the problem was once I landed my guys, when you get to like a city or a port, you don't just take it. You have to clear it. So you have this big urban area that might have an airfield or an airbase and a port. So there's like military police and local law enforcement, maybe reserves. And these motherfuckers would not let my guys <laughs> take the city. Like I had an entire airborne division that got sucked into this town. How, how, to dare, they, how dare they not just roll over for you? <laughs> they had their GG. I, I said, I think I said in the, uh, the uh, guild, I said, they were they were overwhelmed by an army of remote control helicopters and cheap wind up robots. You know, like just they wouldn't stop resisting. So my guys, said, at some point, you're like, do we pull out of the city? Because it just ends up absorbing all your guys. But it really does uh, reflect it well because what happens is when you move into these areas that have to be cleared, and I'm giving you a hat, little quotation marks. Mm-hmm. You pull a clearing marker. Well, you don't ever know what the clearing marker is going to be. It could be low or high, and it's based on the quality of the troops that you have trying to clear the objective. So if, you, if you're unlucky and you get a high one, it, it can mean that you weren't able to clear it. But even worse, if you didn't put enough units in the city, it means that you suffer a step loss. It's like hmm. you sent a regiment in for a job that should have been handled by a division. And as a result, the locals end up killing a bunch of you guys, like overpowering them. So, but you might end up getting a very low clearing marker, which means they they easily are able to make the clearing roll and uh, and take over the city. And so, maybe there you brought it into a division, and now they're kind of 
Well, I brought in the division. They were, I think their, I think their efficiency rating was a six, which is high. And, but the fucking clearing marker was a six. Hmm. It was a high, I think it's the highest clearing marker in the entire chip bowl. But it could be a, I think it could be a three. So the difference is the modifier on the roll to clear. Hmm. So then I, I got into a position where I almost had no chance of clearing the city. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the fuck. That seems like a pretty elegant solution for something like that. You know, it's at yeah. such a high scale that you can't really get into the city fighting. But, but that's no, you don't know what's happening. You just that. know that they're like, why isn't that? Why has? It especially took place with the Marines because the Marines are trying to take a port. They need a port, obviously, for mm-hmm. something, but they can't get it. So they're trying to now pile more troops into the port. And the Marine beach commander is very pissed off, obviously, because he needs to take that port. And also, I let it off with a, a cruise missile launch, which was fun. I there blast shit yeah. of all the air bases. Isn't Taiwan mostly urban territory? I mean, what was the terrain like? Because you're, well, you're talking about clearing cities. It seems like that'd just be hex after hex of urban clearing that you'd have to do. Well, I'm I'm not a member of AAA, so I don't <laughs> have that kind of information right at my fingertips. <laughs> but I will say that looking at the map, there are some major city areas on the island, but in the middle of the island, there's a giant mountain range because it's an okay. island. So, like, let's get into volcanics. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of mountains. And then, so it's very difficult to get through the mountain range. And then you have a backside, which is kind of like their safe harbor away from China, you know? Right. But, but yeah, it seems like there's a, a left side, which would be south. There's a western city and there's a northern city. So, hmm. I mean, Mitch put in some cool stuff. Like, there's a plastics factory that actually is so built up that it's like actually a defensible area, you know. Sure. So, and so let me let me just go over some of the stuff real quick that I want to talk about. So, so the combat's pretty simple. Basically, the way the game works is uh, we've been over this with Next World Korea, but it's it's an initiative based system. So, if you have the initiative, you actually get like extra combat and extra movement you can do. And so the idea is you want to keep the initiative as long as you can. You cut out again. Um, no, I didn't cut out. My wife actually just walked yeah. in. Oh. Hold, on, hold on for a second. My wife brought me pizza earlier. So. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. Mine is out of town, so she keeps texting me. We just we just got a puppy that we were trying to get uh, from an adoption agency, so my wife wanted to tell me. Success. Yeah, we got her. We got her. We'd gone down. It was in a, my dog of 14 years had, uh, I adopted her from this, this, uh, this place called, uh, the pet orphans down in Van Nuys. And I had adopted her 14 years ago and she was like a great dog for our family. My wife had been attacked by a pack of dogs when she was a young girl. This dog was like the best dog we'd ever had. She passed away about six months ago. So, uh, on Saturday we went down there to look for dogs. I wanted to kind of go back to the same place, and uh, we found a little puppy who's a uh, husky shepherd mix, and uh, they just, my wife wanted to tell me that they just let her know that we're, we're going to be adopting her. So That's fun. Yeah, she's, she's going to be gigantic. Yeah. That's a big <laughs> Two, three months, huge paws. So hmm. I saw a finger. I assumed it was one of my kids. I was about to do my, you're about to get a spanking your grandkids will hear about. <laughs> <laughs> But you want to let me know. So, okay. So basically, uh, next war Korea, um, or I'm sorry, next war Taiwan. What the fuck was I talking about? The, we were talking the, about the, the geography of Taiwan. 
Then and then combat initiative. Oh yeah, so so there's initiative in that you want to try to. This is one of the cool things I love about the game, and this is great. Mitch, you're you're a genius. As long as you can retain initiative, you get basically extra stuff that you can do. You get an extra phase. Uh, it's and it's 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 the basically the initiative movement and combat phase, and it's only during turns that are called initiative turns. So it gives you some extra things you can do in, in your your actions. It but to keep it going, you have to keep getting the, a certain number of victory points. So there's a there's a marker that tracks it called victory points this turn, and as long as you get that number, you retain the initiative. If you don't get it, the turn becomes what's called the contested turn which is more of a traditional I-go-you-go type turn. And then when it's a contested turn, there's an opportunity for a player to get enough VPs to then seize the initiative and start getting the initiative turns again. So it's kind of great where it it has the player, it pushes the player to be aggressive. Yeah, that's cool. To retain the initiative, you know, to the momentum. So I think it's great. I love it. It's really good. And uh, Mitch kept it in this. And I got to say, I think Mitch really tightened up the rules from next war career, there were some there were some little things that came up, and I think he's done a good job of improving. And Mitch is always like putting out stuff to, to like new versions of things to make sure that the guys like the game. Very very uh, receptive to people talking about the game and and uh, having questions. He always answers right away. And I don't say that just because he's a friend of mine and he's a guild member, but he's also a good designer. He's a so. decent guy. Yeah, great guy. All right. So the other thing I wanted to touch on real quick, I'm not going to get it. Basically, it's a great game. You want to do, you want to do next war Taiwan. You want to simulate the invasion. You want to buy this game. But let me just go over the optional rules real quick because I wanted to talk about all the different things you can do to make the game replayable. So we talked about the fact that, uh, different nations can be pro, con, uh, passive, dovish, hawkish, changes the game every time you play it. But there's also a ton of optional rules. Which, where you can make selections, basically it's like a menu that the player can look through and try to decide, oh yeah, I think I want to have, uh, maybe I'll have China develop stealth aircraft ahead of time. But you're going to have to pay the other person some victory points. So, like just as an example, for guys who are real modern hardware wonkheads who really like this stuff, F-22 deployments. Well, in the game, the F-22s are mixed with F-15s as a force multiplier. But it gives you the option, as the allies, you want to have your F-22s be pure F-22 squadrons. You can give the uh, Chinese 10 VPs and field them. And let me tell you, if you do it, they are crazy. <laughs> the F-22 squadrons are ridiculous as far as how powerful so they are. So that's pre-game like, yeah, options that you can... These are pre-game buys you can do. So generally, the way the air, their air action works is uh, you have three air-to-air air ratings. You have like, uh, Mitch, forgive me if I get it wrong, but long range, standoff, and then dogfighting. So if you have, uh, and then whoever gets to attack first is based on how high their rating is. And then, uh, basically, like, if your aircraft don't have, like, uh, long range, then the long range, they just get shot. I mean, cause they're trying to get to standoff range, and meanwhile, the long range guys just blast the shit out of them. So like the uh the the F22 by itself is like a 633 which is super strong for long range. So then you've got forward deployment based on the Pacific pivot you could forward deploy F22s and B2s. The US can do long range bombers, 
The U.S. can have USMC uh, F-35Bs, which are, again, an up, super upgraded version of an aircraft. Navy can have uh, F-35Cs instead of F-18s. You have additional wild weasels, uh, restrict the PRC. You have Japanese ground forces. Uh, there's a rule for refugees. And then for PRC, the, the Chinese can have uh, carrier units. So in the game, the carriers don't, the Chinese carrier, I know we have a Chinese carrier. It's basically like a, a flat thing on top of a, a, a ship that they aren't really, they aren't really trained to use carrier operations, but it allows you, the optional rules allow you to, hey, why don't you have carrier air units for the Chinese? Or how about we have them have stealth aircraft? Hmm. Or, or do you and want to have the Commonwealth involved? That's, uh, that's interesting too, because it's, I guess that's kind of representing the fact that we don't know when this war is going to happen. So. Yeah. But, so potentially, you know, it could be it could be 25 years from now, and they could have a lot different stuff than they have right now. That's right. a really, real cool aspect. No, it's very cool. And like, how about this option? Ride it out. In the advanced game, naval units may stay in the at sea box and have a strike. So instead of falling back, they can naval units can hang in there and take the hits. Or UN mandate: the allied player may choose to use this option. Every time the non-allied player vetoes a UN resolution or refuses to obey a ceasefire, increase the U.S. intervention level by one. So basically the U.S. is like, what, you're going to veto the resolution? Well, now we're sending the Marines in. I mean, and or, this is another great one I like, the coup de main uh, scenario start. Sometimes there's islands that you want to take prior to the game. Now in the game, you can take, like one of them, the one I did it on was Pengu, which is an island group that's basically between Taiwan and China. And it's kind of a pain in the ass for the Chinese because for them to move their assault forces through, it makes the sea area, I think, a contested area, which means there's a chance they won't be successful. So normally the Chinese could do a thing where they take the Marines and they're going to launch an invasion of Pengu and then they fight that whole thing out. But you can do a scenario start where you say, look, at the beginning of the game, we've already taken Pengu. And so instead of having to go through all the fighting to take this stupid little island that eventually you're going to take, you give the allies, the U.S. and the Taiwanese, five VPs, and you just assume it happened and put Marines there. So it's kind of like a quick start version of the scenarios. Hmm. And you can do it with the Senkakus or the Spratleys or the Paracels. So I thought it was cool. It's just a nice way to get started in the game without having to run yourself through a whole bunch of exhausting little battles. So That's cool. Great examples of play, whatever. It's so, is it looking at the map? It's just that island. Is it a smaller scale? Would you say than than something like Korea? Well, the units are brigades. Well, I mean, not not a smaller scale, but is it is it easier to get into? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point, point. and it's something I mentioned. I think on the guild. Uh, so basically, if you guys run the guild, you don't have to listen to the podcast at all because we can just, <laughs> I'm just rehashing it all. Uh, the, the nice thing about Taiwan is with, with North Korea, well, not with North Korea, but with the Korean War, you had to deal with all the DMZ hexes and all the tough terrain. Really, Taiwan doesn't have the same type of terrain. There is a mountain range in the middle, but then it's all kind of open areas with roads around the edges. So I think the, the combat will go much quicker once yeah. you're, once you're on the island. So, yeah, I think, I, think, oh, I think the fight will fight quickly. But man, it's a great game. Production quality is great. It looks yeah, beautiful. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It's a great game. If if you're at all interested in modern warfare and you don't have this game, you're out of your mind. Because if, as far as replayability, this is a game where I'm like, 
I told Ralph, I said, we're, we're going to play this at, at Consum World. I mean, it's, it's a game that we could have Sweet. a great time with. Some, and sometimes these games are like better in Vassal than they are in person. You know, just because they're stacked. It's easier to manage, yeah. Right. But this game is actually pretty good. I really liked it. And I like that they also have the, he has a separate map that is the, uh, sea display, kind of like the naval display. So you can put down where the different, you can, you, you have, it's, it's a kind of a campaign game aspect to the, to the, the module, the, the game that I thought was really good. So it's cool. Yeah, it looks beautiful. It's, it's on my list. Kyle, you have any questions? Nope. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I, it's, with with apologies to Mitch, it's one that I slotted for my potential fall sale pickup. <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah, because uh, I, I didn't have it pre-ordered, but um, just because I, I man, I bought too way too many games right at the end of the year, and uh, that well, was right when this one shipped. It'll probably be there unless the PRC buys two thousand copies. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the really cool thing about it though is I thought as, as another thing about playing Korea, I mentioned this uh, was. The Korean, North Korean Air Force sucks. So when the, the air superiority happens, especially if weather occurs and you don't, they don't have a lot of all weather aircraft, they get hammered. The nice thing is in this scenario, in this game, the Chinese actually have good aircraft. So especially if you get one where the, the allies are a little bit upgunned because the, the U.S. is involved and Japan's very involved, you're going to see a lot of great air war fighting and, I'm not an air war guy, but I gotta say, I think the air war is one of the most fun things about hmm. the game. It's so fun how it plays. That's cool. And I'm not an air combat guy. I hate yeah. air combat games. And I, I'm always like, air superior, let's bring it. Like they come up and you're like, let's go. A lot of games struggle to get the rules right for air combat. So it sounds like this one has nailed it. Well, and it's, it, there's a ton of factors established, like who has the AWACS advantage? If you have AWACS advantage, it depends on wh- who's going to get to choose, uh, matchups first i mean it's because of course the awax guys are telling you hey a squadron's inbound so you you have some control if you have an awax advantage over who you match up with so it's great Mitch did a great job very good i'm very happy with it it's good to hear and i don't think it's super pricey so no not at all um, mm. tons of stuff beautiful yeah. tons tons of great uh uh charts and everything else so all right so uh what else we got anything that's it for me. We got the ASL Minute, right? Oh, go for oh, it. Oh, yeah. On this app. Lucas it's... Brooks ASL Minute. <laughs> That's have, right. Have pre- the branding any... is important. Have you prepared any music, Jason? No, the... that won't be happening. <laughs> I'm going to have to sing the actual thing. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. There you go. It's the Lucas Brooks Minute. This is brought to you by Lucas Brooks. Oh, there you go. I had to come out sooner or later. Well, you know, it was hard to hear. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what broke up the, the audio last time. So can... we'll, we'll, we'll know if the audio falls off at the end. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, 60 seconds to talk about uh, ASL. This is brought to you by Lucas Brooks. One of the, you know, even Lucas doesn't know what a big fan he is of ASL yet. He'll find out. <laughs> And we're not haters. I mean, that's fine. I know I play SL now. I initially, and it, honestly, if you want to listen, this isn't part of the minute, by the way. I'm, my minute hasn't started yet. But uh, if you wanted to look in the beginning of the podcast, I was kind of skeptical yeah, of this. For sure. So, so you you can actually listen from the first episode There's to now yeah. and see an evolution in how I felt about the game. And Kyle, maybe you could like do that and then like write a, a thesis about uh, that evolution. I don't know if you're up for that, but I mean. <laughs> 
I've got my I own would. ASL evolution to go through. <laughs> have you been Have you been playing in the ASL or no? I, I haven't started. I finally got Beyond Valor clipped and uh, for King and Country clipped. So start I just with need to start playing. Commando, and stop play Commando Schenk. That's that's a good start one for uh, for uh, ASL out of Beyond Valor. That's a good scenario, infantry oh, scenario. Nice. And don't hang out with those guys that argue with each other. Don't yeah. play with them. <laughs> <laughs> don't get sucked into that hole. Oh, I'll be I'll be learning solo before. I'm not stepping into that fucking shark's nest. No yeah, thanks. Smart. But again, like I said with any of you guys, if you guys are starting to try out with ASL, feel free to just, like Skype me or geek mail me if you have questions about particular aspects. I'm hardly an expert, but I've been through it and I've done a lot of the reading. So I yeah, and and like I said, uh, I think Brian Martin said one time when we were talking about it, he goes. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever played a perfect ASL game. Yeah. So, so the truth is, I mean, even when I listen to two app squads, I listen to the stuff they're talking about. I'm like, yeah, I don't think those are the rules. But so the thing I'm going to talk about today in the ASL minute is snipers. So uh, it's important because I played starter kit and I played ASL. Starter kit doesn't have snipers, and you start actually wishing for snipers when you yeah. play starter kit. You start to miss them, and the reason is. The whole idea behind a sniper is it's a guy who's an independent operator who's out there on the battlefield that you as the, the general really don't have much control over. You know, he's out there. He's at, he's on the top of a building or looking out a window. You can't be like, hey, I really need you to shoot that stug, stug crew right now. He's doing his own thing. And the way ASL uh, reflects that is a really nice aspect where they – they basically give you a sniper activation number in a scenario. And the number might be a two, it might be a three or a four or five, or even higher. And obviously the higher the number, the more likely you are to have a sniper activation. So when, when a, your opponent rolls the sniper number, like I'm the Soviet player, I have a sniper activation number of four. When my opponent rolls a four on two dice six on a morale check or a fire effort or, or a task check, he then triggers the sniper. And based on where the sniper counter is, there's a chance that the sniper will then fire at one of his guys. But the cool aspect of it is it also kind of serves a gameplay thing where, say your sniper number is three and your opponent wants to take some kind of gamey shot like, eh, if I could roll a two or a three, I could maybe hit that guy. He doesn't want to take the shot because he doesn't want to trigger the sniper. <laughs> so it means that the more remote shots or the more unlikely shots your opponent is less likely to attempt because he doesn't want to he's like yeah i could get the shot on you and cause a morale check or a pin check but then i'll have a sniper check on me so it's not worth it to roll that die roll so it kind of speeds up the game a little bit because your opponent is reluctant to take wild ass shots <laughs> as we call them wass <laughs> because they don't want to trigger a sniper Especially if there's if your sniper number is a six or a seven, shit. If your sniper number is a seven, it's pretty likely that if your opponent decides to roll the dice, he might trigger a sniper. <laughs> so what happens is when you do trigger the sniper, you just roll one die. If it's a one or a two, that means there's a chance that the sniper is going to do something. And it, it, the target will usually be whoever's closest to where his little sniper counter is. So you move the sniper counter over to that target, and then if you roll the one on that single die, he kills a leader, shoots him right through the skull, or he stuns and recalls a, a exposed crew. He could break a squad or uh, immobilize an unarmored vehicle. So if you roll the two, he might eliminate a dummy stack or wound a leader or stun an exposed crew or pin a unit. So 
And sometimes he can even attack another sniper. So hmm. the the other cool thing is, say you do do a sniper check and and the uh, or your sniper attack, and you end up killing someone. If there's other units with that guy that you killed, they have a chance to try to hurt your sniper, and it's called the sniper check. Where if they haven't done anything yet, they're like, oh, where the fuck is the sniper? And they're gonna try to shoot the sniper based on uh, like maybe where the round came from, and there's a chance they could like, I guess they could eliminate him or damage him or reduce reduce his sand number. So that's it. The tower that he's in. Yeah, so that's snipers. So what do you guys think? Do you think that's a good rule? I think it's a good rule. Yeah, Anything? I think it adds a nice bit of uh, tension to, you know, your fear. Now, you, now you're not doing stuff because you're afraid of something that might happen. That's It's a definitely a combat-related type thing. Yeah, because a guy will sometimes be like, oh, I just have to roll snake eyes. And you're like, really? Fuck, we got to go through that and then all the... But now he's like, well, I'm not rolling it because... Um, if I roll a three, your sniper is going to shoot my guy. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, so. not going to create that kind of chaos willingly. And, and I like the the command friction aspect where you're commanding the troops, but the sniper is a lone wolf. He's out there on his own. You know, right. you, as the player, you don't really have much control over what the sniper is going to do. I mean, he's on your side, but so, yeah. that's cool. So that's it. That concludes the ASL minute. I think we might need a new name for that. I think I think honestly my 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 Connery imitation is much better sober than it is after I've had some beers. I don't know what it is about it. It's very difficult to judge. I can't do it. Or some, it's the same I, way some people play darts better drunk. Yeah, it's like if we're recording. I can't do it. It's very strange. But the, but that won't keep me from doing it. But you know. Yeah. No. Don't don't let any, anything stop you from doing it. Well, uh, I'm pretty much done. I think. Do you guys have anything you want to add? Or that's it for me. Yeah, I'm good. Let's see. Nothing I can't talk about next time. All right, boys. Sweet. Two hours and 48 minutes. Again, my wife will be pissed. She's like, why can't the fucking podcast be two hours long? Garbage time, lady. Yeah, garbage time. Yeah. Wouldn't be the same without it. You wouldn't interrupt me with bullshit news about how we just got our dog that we're trying to adopt. Like, come on, you're wasting my time. The listeners, that's listener time. Yeah. That, that could be fixed with some tight editing. Nah, fuck that. <laughs> All right, boys. Cool. Thanks, Cal. Yep. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Visit us at http colon slash slash boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. S-L-U-G-G-O-N-I-C-F. God, what would we do on this podcast without me? I know. I know. Jesus that Christ. Crazy. Like, you, you, you're good with editing. I apparently have to handle all the social... Any, anything happening with a person, you have to do. <laughs> Between the two of us, we're one complete person. <laughs> For some reason, I didn't... Oh, So you send him the request? Yeah, I tried to just add him without sending it. That's not going to work. Yeah, it didn't go through. There then you he could, is. Then you could just call random people up. Yeah, that'd be all right. Hello? Yes. Holy oh. shit, we did it. <laughs> and <laughs> only seven minutes late. The marvelous modern world we live in. I know. <laughs>
I think we got all the good stuff too. So, it also gave me time to go downstairs and get beer. So that's a must. So you're very efficient. That was good. <laughs> Utilizing my time wisely. We do appreciate that. I haven't even started yet. Yeah, I, I, I talked to Dave early to make sure that I didn't have to download something or uh, or prepare in any way. Yeah, we were working out all the technical details, Jason. <laughs> I, I appreciate oh. that. And this this new recording software doesn't doesn't try to drop every twenty minutes like the other one, so we shouldn't lose anything either. Doesn't try to drop and make you enter your email address. Yeah, so and show spam. me. Yeah, show me a porn advert. Or anything. <laughs> I will miss that though. <clears throat> Have you guys watched? Uh, it's on Netflix called Black Mirror. No. It's a. Uh, uh, I've heard of it. And, uh, especially the notorious first episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. If you like the Twilight Zone, it's it's really good. The second episode, the the whole pop ups thing reminded me of. It's like a in real life social network kind of hundred percent online thing. I I like those kinds of stories. It's worth I think, watching. I think the first one was uh, the pig fucking episode. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. <laughs> Like heartbreaking and horrifying all at the same time. <laughs> so is it, is it about people like interacting on the internet or something? Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's it's a modern take on the Twilight struggle or t- Twilight struggle. Tw- twi- wow, you're, you're already getting into the mood. Okay. I haven't even started drinking yet. The uh, the Twilight Zone kind of morality plays. So it's kind of about um, how media blows everything up and you know overreacts to things. It's it's interesting. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah, I uh, I I just read about the, the that first episode, but I have not actually watched any of the episodes. I think we are good to go on the recording and the sound and. So we have new software now, so we're not going to have any problems. Well, I'm not promising that, but <laughs> making no promises nor guarantees. <laughs> We've already verified that we hear each other clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I played back what we did earlier, Dave, and it sounded fine. Yeah, so we have no idea why that happened. Mm-mm. Or was it just the software? I think it was just a fluke. Fluke, okay. Because, yeah, I mean, unless the software... Because I, I think I had even used it after that, and it, it did fine. But, yeah, I took that off and just using the new stuff now. Okay. And it's still free, so we're keeping in the spirit of the podcast. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Get what you pay for, it, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a problem. Yeah, it's the sound quality. <laughs> so, are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Jason, do you have a drink? Not yet. Oh, see, that doesn't sound ready at all. Right. <laughs> I want to be one thing to prepare for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I yeah, a... I've, I've gotten out of doing the quiz, so now really, I'm like, <laughs> all right. So, are we ready to start, guys? Yep. Good. Everybody's good. Yes. Okay.